gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of, geez, Brendan, just saying that number's crazy. It's a big number. <laughs> of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. We've got a couple things this episode. Yes, so we are going to, and they're a little related. We're going to talk about the Soulblight Gravelord's Battle Tome. Yeah. It's very chaos-like in that there's about 900 million <laughs> heroes in it. Yes. And it's very soupy. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to talk about my... My time at the Kansas City Open Teams Tournament. Yeah, we're going to have Dr. Death back on the show. A throwback and... to episode like four or something like <laughs> yeah. that, where you interviewed me after a tournament. So. Yeah, so we're going to do that all over again. All right. That, I think, is it. This is going to be a long episode. Yes. We are actually recording twice. Yeah, two nights. We're splitting it up because <laughs> to, to do this. So neither one of us wants to be doing this till 10 at night or anything. Oh, goodness. So. Those days are behind us. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but yeah, so buckle in. This is going to be a long episode. But very rewarding. Vampers are back, man. Vampers it's, are back. It is good. They are, well, specifically zombies. <laughs> we will see, right? Yes. Okay, so let's roll on into Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Hobby time for Brendan Man. I, for me, there really wasn't anything to, to get ready for Kansas City Open. You know, it's just borrowing a lot of models from a lot of people. That's it. Okay. Like, and putting Fair. them in boxes and, you know, <laughs> in trays and figuring out how I was going to move this army from place to place. And, yeah, movement trays. You know, I, I painted stuff. some movement yeah. trays, you know, color coordinated those movement Good. trays. I uh, made a whiteboard to explain how those movement trays work. Oh, and, okay. You know, some good Very bookkeeping. Good. good for you. Yeah. With the army I took, I yeah. needed some good bookkeeping. And people will understand that once you explain. Yeah, once we get there. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. I got my 15 spite revs done in terms of building a priming nice you know i'm gonna do the same thing i think they're gonna be easier than the tree revs because there's really less detail yeah there's basically just the they're tree more part. feral yeah. yes and there's the humanoid part they won't take long at all i have them done well before meltdown that's it really for me just all the other stuff we've been doing the personal stuff getting ready with our rv and everything it's just you know taking a lot of time all good cool so hobby it is pre-orders well leviathan yes <laughs> it's coming up this saturday and then two weeks is a two-week cycle this time we're gonna get the box dropping and we're gonna hope for the best for our 40k friends we hope that there's plenty out there that people can get what they need and want so yeah just hoping for the best and happy for our 40k friends a little disappointed that we're not getting our handbook but you know what i have no complaints because i look at all the battle tomes we've gotten in the last six months it's been all sigmar man it just has been fine it's that time right drops we got seraphon we talked about last time so and at the kansas city open they had the full supply of everything yeah very popular tons and tons and tons of people were buying seraphon models that's wonderful and some of them were building them they look great in the book they look great you know in pictures some of the detail on those models isn't done justice by the photos. Okay. They are 
spectacular wonderful very popular good stuff and we'll see what we see on the tables obviously and we got a couple war bands that are out there which is fine other than sigmar and 40k stuff gw has announced an rts game called realms of ruin we've seen some stuff around on social media about it Mm -hmm. fine other non-warhammer gaming news though some pretty big news from critical role i know a lot of people who are listeners have followed critical role for a long time and they are going to start their own rpgs they're going to do one is called illuminated worlds and it's more of a one-off kind of a deal where it's going to be you know individual adventures or two or three adventure um, kind of series so it won't be a long-term one but then they're also going to have another system and this one's d6 based which is really fascinating oh boy yeah really cool to watch it play though and it was funny because a couple of the reviewers you know the people that were commenting on and not reviewers yet but they were just like wow we can't believe we're getting a d6 system i'm going yawn <laughs> like <laughs> we've been playing d6 for how many years right how many decades anyway they're also going to be producing something called dagger heart which is going to be the long-term campaign kind of a deal and it's d20 kind of based so it's more traditional but it will be their world their stuff fascinating yeah it sounds really neat and it's fun that matt mercer and his crew are moving in that direction i think that's really cool the other big news very big news is that diablo 4 dropped which is so very cool. I have played way too much of it in just a couple of days, but it is really fun. That was great, great news. Games played other than Sigmar. Alex, I got an Age of Wonder win. Hello. Very good. Finally. The one thing I will say about this is the user interface is much less smooth than it is in like Civilization. It's really difficult to get used to. Once you do, it's all right, but it's a little more clunky. But otherwise, it was really cool to win a game. And, And then Diablo 4, of course. Boom, boom, boom. I just ignored everything I saw online in terms of, oh, things you have to watch out for, mistakes you can make. It's like, I don't really care. I just want to play Mm -hmm. and learn on my own. And it's been really fun. Uh, The one thing I'm not used to is usually I play solo, right? But you get automatically connected into Blizzard's kind of, you know, world. And so even though you're not interacting with the other players who are online at the time, you see them running around once in a while. And it's just weird for me. As somebody who's been kind of a lone ranger for so long. You should hit up the Pants Mafia crew. They've been playing Diablo 4 no way. all weekend. Oh, have they? You know, our group chat was Nick True updating with his tournament stuff, <laughs> me updating with my tournament stuff, and then just a wall of text of Diablo 4. <laughs> yeah. So you should hit those guys I up. I should. And, yeah, yeah. If there's going to be an environment with people that you're around. Yeah. Hop on Discord and play with the... Yeah, that's a possibility. Play with the Pants Mafia crew. It was great. I'm playing a Sorcerer to start out because I'm a big Chain Lightning fan. So that was one of the options. It's like, okay, I'm going for that first. No matter how good it is. I just want to have it. (laughs) But yeah, great, great fun. How about you? Anything other than... I've been playing Mario Strikers and Advance Wars (laughs) on my Switch. Yeah. Just killing some time. Sure. Nothing too crazy. Nothing too involved. That's been my other category. Okay fair other than kc open we're going to talk to dr death about that i haven't had any games since rubicon i was really contemplating asking you for a practice game oh sure and i'm really glad i didn't it would have been ugly yes been real bad dan would have gone war uh, so what's for dinner war crimes the <laughs> army yeah <laughs> oh my god events well we have 
We're going to talk to Dr. Death about Casey Open. Just happened this past weekend. Yep. Midwest Meltdown is about five weeks out. Have set up. I might be joining you at Midwest Meltdown. That would be wonderful to yeah. see you because our friend Tanya and I have set up a grudge match, which okay. is awesome because we grudged at Vault Wars last time. That'll be really fun. I love rolling dice with her. She's a great person, a great player. I think she's bringing her soul-sucking elves again, her Ideneth. Okay. So... We'll see how it all works out. A Nashcon and Siege World, of course. A Dragonfall. Everything's wide open. Tickets and hotels and everything else are all, you know. Nice. So I know Tyler has released all his Vault War stuff, so that's ready for sign up. And I have to probably in a couple weeks, I'm going to get ready to start signing up and hoteling for a RockCon because out there, but, you know, so is Dragonfall. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of get started early. Yeah, plan sometimes. ahead. Yeah. So all that stuff. Yeah. Short whispers, but a lot of good things happening. Yeah, short whispers, long lies. <laughs> yeah, there we go. With that, we're going to move in to Emperor Lies. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So, listeners, we're going to start our Emperor Lies section this episode with an interview with an old friend, Dr. Death, who's back in the studio with us. And he has just returned from the Kansas City Open Team event. Yep. I've got some questions for him specifically about his experience so that we can go through and kind of get a feel for what that event was about. So, Dr. Death, my first question is, what were your expectations going in and were they met? In terms of the gaming part of this, the Kansas City Open was a team's event. So it's a team of four where the requirements and rules are no repeated war scrolls. So you can't share the endless spells across all four. You can't have Ravenax. Only one person can have Ravenax. Each battle tome can only be used once. So, you know, no two Soul Blight players. It's four different army books have to be played. Okay. And no repeated war scrolls across those. It's a pairing process where the four of you play the same mission against another team of four. If you win three or four games, your team wins outright. If both your teams win two games, it goes down to a differential. If you win by at least 21, your team wins the round. Otherwise, it's a draw. Okay. And then obviously on the other side, if you lost by 21 with the two wins or you only win one game or zero games, then you lose the round. Our stated goal was to win best team of generals and get a golden ticket because there were two sets of golden tickets available. The team that wins best overall, which is 50% paint, 50% battle, mm-hmm. and the team that wins best team of generals, that's just straight battle. You know, We'll cut to the chase on that. We won best team of generals, <laughs> so, so our team has a golden ticket to Atlanta for the four of us. You know, they're very clear. Only one of those is the airfare and hotel included, but right. that's fine. Qualified in the first going out for it. That was very exciting. So in terms of Games Workshop opens, I've heard some pretty mixed things from some events. Mm-hmm. It was well ran. We ran into an issue going into round six where my understanding is someone higher up was requiring that round six be, you know, true Swiss in terms of first place, second, third sure. place, fourth, that kind of thing. We had already played second place earlier on. Mm-hmm third had already played fourth and basically all the way down the line pretty much everybody had already played who they were supposed to be paired against okay and i've never seen this happen in warhammer or really anywhere in my life wow 64 people were unanimous and unified in that they did not want to do this and an well, uprising yeah. a little bit and so like i wasn't familiar with you know the way that it worked down towards the bottom but towards the top you know we were in first we had not played the team in third the team in second had played us and the team in third, but they had not played the team in fourth. Okay. Should have gone that way then. So eventually the pairings were either by adamant revolts or you know whatever it is you want to call it. 
that's how it ended up reshaking out, which is good. I'm glad as an event, we got to play six other teams. We would have been willing to play that other team, but both of our teams knew that if we took a draw, both of us secured a first place in one of the two categories. Sure. And that's not good for anybody. No. Right? You know, it basically makes everyone else's games meaningless. Right. But if you're going to set something up like that, it needs to be in the pack that that's mm-hmm. the way that it's going to go. It very much wasn't. So thankfully, we got to a reasonable solution and... You know, it all played out fine. Okay. But other than that, everything, it ran smoothly. Everything ran to time. The environment was, despite there being some very good lists and some very, very good players, the overall atmosphere was very casual. Great to hear. Some tense games, right? But, you know, really good people that we got to play against. Thankfully, everyone was very understanding of the list that I was playing. (laughs) Okay, sure. So speaking of that, what I'd like you to do next is tell us about your team, you know, in general, the other armies, and Mm -hmm. then tell us specifically about your crazy army. Sure. And so our team was Nick Raverty from the Dias cast was playing Caradron Overlords. Yep. Murgonk Ja was playing Osiarch Bone Reapers, Mm -hmm. and John Anderson was playing Techless Castle, Oh. and I was playing Soulbike Ravelords. If you call it that. (laughs) Yeah. So Nick on Caradron Overlords was playing Barrackzon, which is the combat KO army. Mm -hmm. So he had basically 50% combat. The other 50% was Thunderers. Okay. And is a very balanced two-drop KO list. Murgonk was on Crematorians. So this is pre the Harvester FAQ. And you love Crematorians as it's a very, faction. It's very good. Yep. You know, he had Arcan. He didn't bring Catacros, but he had 3x5 Cavalos Death Riders, Elyse Cavalos. And with teams, you can kind of tech your builds a very specific way. We built that team to be anti-combat. He was going to be able to control the combats by having the uh, minus three to charge aura on the Leash Cavalos, mm-hmm. rather than taking the minus one to hit, minus one to wound aura, which is your anti-shooting build. Techless Castle is Techless Castle. You know, it's... Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. It's been an archetype for a while. John has a hundred plus games on Techless Castle in very competitive settings. I'm not sure that there's anyone who knows that list better than he does at this point in time. That was a one drop. Murgonk was on a one drop. Nick was on a two drop. And then my list, which was <laughs> Belladama. We're going to talk about her playing Virkos. Virkos heroes can take command traits and artifacts. Which is wonderful. She counted as nine on objectives and handed out a five up board to summonable units. Uh-huh. I had Torgilius, who hands out a 12-inch 5-up ward. I have Gorslav, who returns units for free every yep. turn. And I had a Necromancer, because I needed a Galatian Champion with Tunnelmaster. And then I had three units of 40 zombies and seven <laughs> units of 20 zombies in a split between two it's battle so regiments, stupid. totaling 260 zombies oh, on a so two-drop. sick. Basically, anybody who didn't have any pregame moves and anybody who had more drops than I did was going to lose that game pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's what we took. A lot of people were very concerned about my ability to play to time. The thing that I don't think they understood is my list is not going to play most of the game. I'm going mm. to set my army out. I might make some charges. I might make some moves. But overwhelmingly, my army is going to be right here. Just taking it. Yeah. When we get to the battle tactics in this book, the battle tactics are so far out of bounds in this book. There were a couple games where I didn't even have to look at the regular battle tactics. I had done four out of the battle tome and went, oh, and desecrate. (laughs) Uh, Or, oh, cunning maneuver. Yeah. And I'm done. Uh, Wow. 
And then my grand strategy is to have three slain units returned over yes. the course of the game. Gorslav basically makes that automatic yeah. because he gets to bring a unit back in each of my turns. Yep. So yeah. as long as you've killed a unit every turn starting in round two, I'm going to get my tactic. Sure. Or get grand, my strat. Yeah. Grand strat. Yeah. The next thing I want to do is have you talk to us about your favorite win mm. of your five and then your loss yeah so i went five and one the team overall was four wins and two draws morgonk and i both went five and one john went four and two and nick gravity went three and three and what's really important here is nick's wins were absolutely critical he ate some very difficult matchups not just mm. for him but for the whole team and those were super super important in our round five and our and one of our earlier rounds where getting that win was fundamentally important to us either bringing it to a draw or taking it as a win yeah and that's what teams are about too exactly I know that's one of the things you like about it exactly 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 my favorite win was probably game two we were playing socal united southern mm-hmm. california team sure and I was playing against a Gitz player who also had two drop. Him and I rolled off. We're playing the prize of Gallet. Mm-hmm. This is the mission where objectives turn on over the course of the game. Yes. I win the roll off. It's very important for me to deploy first because I need to be able to set my zombies out front yes. and pin you in. I do that. I charge a 40 brick into a squig herd, which was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I had done the math wrong in my head. Uh, And so it kills a 40 brick, top of one, and I go, oops. (laughs) I ended up feeding tons of units to that squig herd to keep it from getting Mm. into my side of the field. The first battle round, I, you know, hold one, hold more, battle tactic for four, hold them to zero. Second battle round, I win the roll off. I said, you're going first. Mm -hmm. I turn on the objective that's on my side, deep in my territory, behind about 100 zombies. And he goes, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So he's looking around, and he goes, I'm going to desecrate. Okay. And I'm not able to redeploy onto that piece of terrain. But we're going to talk about this when we get to Soul Black Gravelords. Soul Black Gravelords have this ability where in your opponent's turn and in your turn, at the end of the movement phase, you can roll a dice for a slain summonable unit. In your opponent's turn, it triggers on a four-up. In your turn, it triggers on a three up. You can set up a, one of your slain units wholly within 12 inches of that gravesite outside of three inches of enemy units. Three, not nine. Yep, three. Three. You can't charge, you can't pile in. So I end up summoning 10 zombies, drop it on the objective, and he just looks at me and he goes, Oh, I don't like you. <laughs> Two zero point turns in a row. Ugh. I'm up nine. To Game f- over. I'm up nine to zero. Ugh. After two battle rounds, Mm. I've played some pretty gross lists over the years. Mm -hmm. I have played some games where my opponent had no opportunity to win that game. I have never been more in control of a game than I was in that one. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite win. And then my loss, I did quite enjoy. I was also playing a Gitz player, but Mm -hmm. he was like 14 drops or something like that. He had two units of Spore Splat of Fanatics. So those are the ones oh, with yeah. mushrooms at the end. Yep. They get a pregame move of 2d6 inches. And we're playing only the Worthy. So I have one Galatian champion. He has three. So I know that I have to get on these objectives and hold them and push out, you know, because once the Galatian champion is on it, they have it, period. Yep. The pregame move happens. And, and in my head, you know, seven is the average. So I'm going, okay, well, I'm going to budget for nine. 
In terms of those sports blada fanatics moving, you know, what that's going to mean from zoning out, you know, my ability to summon units down and things like that. Okay. So I had budgeted for a nine inch pregame move All right. from each of the two units. So really, you know, it's a 12.5% chance, you know, that yeah. you're going to get there. First one, a 10, and I go, <laughs> okay, you know, that's. It's done. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. The other one, an 11, and I just go, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, not a problem. We're just going to play the game. Yeah. Fine. So as we're playing it in the second battle round, though, he's got a unit of Boingrop bounders that are screaming around the outside, and he lands a 12-inch charge mm. to be able to get a couple of guys in range to ultimately kill my Necromancer, taking my Galatian champion off of Ugh. the one objective that I was going to hold. Because I was in a position where you know I was going to be able to, in that first turn, hold one, hold two, hold more, get my battle tactic, five, he was going to get four, and we were basically going to go four, 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 back and forth for a while. And you know, ultimately, like I'd win on the break. And knowing that I could probably peel off his Galatian champion on the other objective, mm-hmm. you know, then I'd have another five-point turn. And so if he doesn't land that 12, I would see myself winning by probably about three points. Okay. It had been a very close game regardless, but... If the Spore Splatter Fanatics roll closer to expected average, it's not close. Okay. I can put enough zombies down. I can put them down in the right place. I can put them in a place where you can never get your Galatian champions onto it, and that's it. Sure. That's the game. Yep. Those are specific tech pieces that are really good against something like mine, you know, right? A pregame move. And in my game five, I was playing against a Legion of Blood who had a unit of Virkos Bloodborne. Mm hmm who do have a pregame move. And after the game, I told him that I felt that he had used the unit incorrectly Mm. because what he could have done with them is basically used it as a stiff arm to move them onto the center objective in Jaws of Galay, the the mission where they're disappearing, basically making my life more difficult because he didn't use them to move out. He used them to kind of protect a hero. Oh, Uh, like a bodyguard. Yeah, kind of a thing. But that meant that I could summon a bunch of zombies down around that middle objective, Mm. making it a fortress that could not be denied. Got it. My next question for you is, did your army perform as you had planned? Yes. Okay. 100%. It did what you expected it to do. It doesn't do much, but yes. But it won you five games out of six. Correct. Yeah, it won me five games out of six. The one game I lost was a matchup that the rest of the team didn't want to face, and it was a matchup that I kept pretty close. If you're going to lose, you better lose close. Well, and if you had lost only one of those die, or if he hadn't made one of those die rolls yeah it would have been a different game very different game yeah that's the way that goes yeah and you know he could have rolled 12s on both of them he could have rolled twos okay if you roll twos then yeah yeah okay. i gotcha okay you just went to rubicon you went to kc open yep what difference did you see between the two in terms of overall armies that were in attendance? Or did you really see much difference? Yeah, teams and singles events are basically impossible to compare. Okay. Because in singles, you have to prepare basically for all comers. Right. Um, you have to basically prepare to play every mission. You have to prepare to potentially see any army and understand that you know if there is an army that you don't want to see, then them's the breaks. You're going to lose that game period. Mm -hmm. Not always the case, right? You know, it's still a dice game. Right. And, you know, the two of you are still pilots. You know, your opponent can be playing the toughest list in the world, but if he doesn't know how to use it, then oops. So so that's really what singles events are. Teams events, you are able to protect yourself from bad matchups. So... It's kind of like a combined arms thing. Yeah. So you can build a list that says, oh, I automatically lose to Sylvaneth. Fine. We're just going to make sure you don't play Sylvaneth. 
Mm-hmm. Or if you do play Sylvaneth, that the other three of us have great matchups. Sure. Because the thing that's important is the result of the team. Well, that's what happened with Nick. He had three losses, but you guys had built around that. Mm-hmm. And so his three wins counted for more. His three result. wins were critical. Yeah. Two of them were rounds where if he doesn't win, it either goes to a draw or a loss. Okay. Very important. Sure. And I think he'd be the first to tell you that there were opportunities for him to win another game or two, which is fine. Yeah. But what was most important was that he came up with the wins in the spots that were most important. Okay. And he probably got the most difficult pairings throughout the weekend, which happens. Yeah. You know, sure. So. Then the last question I had for you is, if you play in another team event, which I'm sure you will. Oh, I love teams. Um, but teams it, is my favorite way to play Warhammer. Yes. But if it's a three-day event... Oh, three days was exhausting. Give me two armies that you might consider playing in your next team event. Of many, but what were two that, say, would pop into your head first? Oh, goodness. I, right now, today, Corn, mm-hmm. And Corn was one of the lists that we were thinking about me taking. And okay. we actually had basically a playoff of sorts where we put a Corn list down and the zombie list down. And it was a closer game than it should have been. Okay. But the zombie list won. Nick and I played that practice game, and once I saw what it did on the table, I went, oh, I can do some stuff with this. Okay. Morgonk and I were, you know, gentlemanly, you know, like letting the other one play Bone Reapers, mm-hmm. and, and it got to a point where I was like, I was like, man, like, I don't have a list. Morgonk's like, I have one. I said, cool, you play Bone Reapers. So there's that. This is the really nice bit about teams, is you can build some stuff out of some other books that don't make a ton of sense on the mm. surface level that can be very, very effective if you can dodge the matchup or two that you're really not worried about. Mm. I've been very busy in my personal life, so I wasn't able to really dig into some of the other books to, sure. to see if there was some skew. I think there's a Sylvaneth list or two that that, you know, in a team setting is probably something a lot of people don't want to see because there's a lot of things that Sylvaneth don't want to see necessarily, but there are some lists that don't want to see Sylvaneth. Yes. There was a very interesting Skaven list that we played against round six in teams, especially in 3.0. I can't think of a book where you couldn't write a list that couldn't do something against somebody that would make someone go, why? I, I don't know. Now, there were some lists in the field that weren't overly competitive but i think that has more to do with they weren't there for you know trying to win the tournament this is the team that they wanted to put together and there's nothing wrong with that yeah i think there's competitive flesh eater courts and night haunts and just everything that you can do in a team setting okay awesome thanks for that man you're welcome good having you on again We'll see you soon, I hope. If you'd like to hear a longer, more detailed goings-on of the Kansas City Open, I will be on the Dias cast with Nick, where we're going to probably talk a little more in-depth about what happens, and you'll certainly be able to hear about Nick's games as well. Yeah. Something you can look forward to we'll uh, give it a listen. down the road. Sounds good. All right, with that, we are going to whatever that was. <laughs> we had fun. Let's move on to Soul Blight Gravelords. Brendan, what are some opening thoughts you have on this book? I'm glad that we're reviewing this book a little while later because my first pass at reading this was, I don't understand how this is supposed to work. It doesn't make sense to me. This book is weird. What am I supposed to do with this? Mm -hmm. The episode that I did with Nick where we did Bone Reapers versus Soul Blight Mm -hmm. was where I started to understand where the strength in the book comes from Mm. in our development of that zombie list. You know, it really spelled out kind of where the real busted stuff is yeah. that I needed to get out of my head the old way that the Soul Blight Gravelords book worked. Okay. And it's similar, but different enough where it's its own animal. In the world 
rankings of you know win percentages and things like that soul blight gravelords is rocking about a 67 percent win rate wow which is crazy that means that you know taking together all the different games that people are winning with uh, people are playing with soul blight the result is they're winning 67 percent of their games <sighs> right that includes the the winners and the losers that's two out of three that's insane when games workshop has said Ew. that the range that they're targeting is 45 to 55 as being where books should land. <laughs> Woof. This is well out yeah. of bounds. Sure. This is very surprising because the professional punditry review of this book on releases, this book is aggressively average. And wow. I was certainly of that mind originally, but once we put it on the table and we started seeing, you know, what everything was, I mm-hmm. myself and obviously a fair number of people found that there's some strength in it and you know, Nick from the Dias cast was certainly one of the people steering me in these different directions right. of, of what we should be looking at. Okay. I think he was maybe the first person to say publicly, this book is pretty good. Okay. Well, we'll join him, I think. Right now, yeah, this book is in desperate need of some corrections because okay. there is some stuff. And, you know, I played 260 Zombies. Zombies are out of bounds, mm-hmm. like cl- plain and simple. We'll get to their War Scroll. We'll talk about what they do. As they exist currently is wrong. Mm-hmm. Listen to me, children. Yeah, the, you know, yeah right. Do, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> of course. Don't put together 260 zombies and play that army. You right. Number one, you'll never finish it in time. We had four-hour rounds. But sure. number two, like, it's so ridiculous. Okay. Where are you at, Dan? I'm really thrilled about this book. You know, I, of course, I was so excited about Vampers last time. And... This time really is no exception. Once I started, as you had said, you know, reading through it, my first impression was, oh, okay, this is kind of the same. But then when I started looking at individual war scrolls, I looked at the fact, and this is another thing I really love, is that each legion or sub-faction has, as I've you know talked about, really is beneficial, having its own heroic actions. That is really cool because that can make a huge difference in some of these armies. I was a little bit disappointed in the faction spell lores in terms of the differential between the vampire wizards and this is very fair the death mage is way better which just makes no sense to me from a lore perspective you would think the vampires would be much more powerful wizards right yes so that's just a little thing but right away that popped out at me i also looked at you know some of the different combinations in you know i look at things very differently as a less competitive player but i just saw some really fun rules and fun things that would make this book still a very not only successful obviously book to play but you could really do some fun things i'm just thinking of like that new character evia volga being able to turn off some huge monster to the point where they only have one attack on each of their profiles she's about two years too late yeah you know like when of course when we had monsters everywhere it's still cool and i think it's really fun and you probably if you're not playing for that 4150 slot you could probably find a place for her and in a lot of armies it would be effective and it would be fun. She'd probably die, but it would be cool to see a Maw Crusher with only one attack on each profile, right? Yeah. That would be very, very cool. And there are other things in the book as we talk through it that I really enjoyed reading, you know, like the couple of the newer heroes I looked at and it was fun reading their lore, you know, just like on their war scroll. And it was like, well, that's really a cool thing. I wonder if I can fit that in somewhere. Even though it's not going to be ultra competitive, it sounds like it would be fun. Sure. You know, as you look through the war bands, you uh, talked about the of them, yeah. four of them, yeah. And there's also a new unit 
the one kind of monster killer unit, uh, I think, that has the Oh, eight. the True Blades. Yeah, yes. I, that's a really cool unit. That's a cool, neat, themed piece. And so those kind of things have got me excited to put together a list, you know, or lists that, again, might not be that competitive, but would be really fun to play. The models would be fun to build, and they're vampers. I mean, let's just say it. That's kind of my opening thought on this. Why don't we move on and talk about the Allegiance abilities first? And we, of course, have our sub-factions, which are legions or named sub-factions. We have three of those, and we have two legions. Then we have the Deathless Minions rule, which is all death armies. Yep. Six-up ward, no bubbles, which we've talked about, which is really, really cool. Why don't you talk to us about Endless Legions? Yep, so Endless Legions, it's a familiar mechanic. It's similar but not the same to what we were doing before. Mm -hmm. So what this is, is at the end of the movement phase, you can pick one friendly Soul Blight Gravelord's summonable, and summonable is a keyword. Yes. Unit that's been destroyed and roll a dice. Add one to the roll if it's your movement phase. If you pick a summonable unit that is not a hero, on a four up, a new replacement unit with half of the models from the unit that was destroyed, rounding up, is added to your army. That unit must be set up wholly within 12 inches of friendly Soul Blight Gravelord's hero or gravesite and more than three inches from all enemy units, and it cannot attempt to charge or make pylon moves in the same turn. Each destroyed unit can only be replaced once. Replacement units cannot themselves be replaced. Excuse me, Brendan, you said three inches. Three inches, yes. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, so dropping it on objectives. That's crazy. One of the really cool things to do with this is to redeploy a unit, right? You know, they moved up to three inches. You redeploy your units. You summon a unit, and you screen in front of the unit that you just redeployed <laughs> in front of. Oh. Backbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely backbreaking. Wow. So excellent. Yep. And then we have uh, Unquiet well, Dead. We're not well, done. We're yet, not done. Dan. That's right, because we have summonable heroes. heroes. Got it. So if you pick a summonable hero on a four up or three up in your turn, set up that hero wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Soul Blight Gravelord's hero or gravesite, more than three inches from all enemy units, and with three wounds allocated to it. That hero cannot attempt to charge or make a pylon move in the same turn. You cannot pick the same hero to benefit from this ability more than once per battle. You can bring your heroes back. Yeah. yeah. Now, there are very few characters that, that have the summonable. summonable. Yeah. As far as I understand, it's just the white king on foot and horse. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Watch Captain Halgrim. Yeah. Ooh. Um, you know, also a white. Those have that ability. But the white kings, from my perspective, finally have a role in this book. Mm -hmm. they, they finally do something that is useful when we get to them. Oh, and the um, Sons of Valmorn, you know, the right. King Valrak is... Yeah, we'll talk about that one yeah, for he's, sure. he's also summonable. It's one of the war bands, yep. Okay, so let's go to Unquiet Dead now. Why don't you talk about that one? This is the way that setting up grave sites and setting units up off-board work. So mm -hmm. after territory is determined, you can pick up to two points within your territory. There's no reason not to. And up to two points anywhere on the battlefield outside your territory to be gravesites. Each gravesite must be more than one inch from all terrain features and objectives. If both players can set up gravesites at the same time, or if one player can set up faction terrain features at the same time as the player can set up gravesites, you roll off and the winner chooses who sets up their faction terrain features or gravesites first. Okay. During deployment, instead of setting up a summonable unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it's set up in the grave as a reserve unit. So you can also set up your summonable heroes in the same way. Okay. You can put one unit in the grave for every unit you have on the battlefield. And at the end of your movement phase, you can set up one or more reserve units in the grave on the battlefield, wholly within 12 inches of a grave site and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Now, Brendan, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Grave sites, yep. can they be destroyed? 
they cannot be destroyed no. with the, monstrous actions. So these are just individual points on the battlefield. Okay, they're a point. They're not a terrain piece. Correct. As it were. Okay, yep. just to clarify. All right. Yep. So these are just points. The difference between the two abilities we just talked about is Endless Legions you can summon from the hero as well as the gravesite. The Unquiet Dead, it's gravesite only. Unquiet Dead, your initial bringing units to the battlefield, nine inches. Endless Legions, three inches. Okay, that's your difference. But you can't charge and you can't pile in. Yep. With Endless Legions. And the pile-in part's important because dogs have a six-inch pile-in natively. Mm-hmm. So you can't summon back, say, a unit of 15 dogs, pile in your six inches and take that objective. Sure. Okay. you got to wait a turn. And then we have Deathly Invocation. In your hero phase, you can pick up the three friendly summitable units wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Gravelord's hero. You can either heal up the three wounds allocated to that unit, or if no wounds have been allocated to that unit, you can return a number of slain models that have a combined wounds characteristic of three or less. Add one to the number of slain models that are returned if that unit is wholly within 12 inches of a gravesite. You cannot pick the same unit to benefit from this ability more than once per phase. So, Brennan, I have a question about Mm -hmm. that. So, let us say I have a unit of five dogs left. Sure. Okay. So, I have one dog, one wound on it, and I'm within 12 of a gravesite. Yep. So, I can use this to fully heal the one that's left. Yep. Plus, if I'm within 12, I could add another one to that unit. Correct. So, I can add a whole model in addition to whatever I heal. And if you were at full health, you could add two one from the three or more one from the three or three. more and then one for the graves wow great very cool yeah woof as we would say yeah <laughs> woof woof indeed <laughs> okay that is the battle traits let's move on to the spell lores so we're going to have spell lores of two kinds we either have vampire wizards or we have mortarks and death mages yep and so mortarks also have the vampire keyword the Mortar keyword is what gives them access to the Death Mages they get to pick. Which is good because, yeah. <laughs> One of these is better than the other. Much better, yeah. What do you think about the lore of the vampires? So one of my favorite spells that I used this past week in Kansas City was Spirit Gale. Okay. Casting value of a 7. Successfully cast. Each enemy unit on the battlefield suffers one mortal wound. Belladama has plus one to cast, so you need it on a six. The unmodified casting roll for this spell is a nine plus, and this spell is not unbound. After the effects of the spell has been resolved, you can immediately resolve the spell a second time. <laughs> wow. So effectively, two mortal wounds to everything. Every unit. Yeah. Which is huge. Mm-hmm. In my first Gits game, my first casting roll is an 11 on Spirit Gale. And so a squig dies, you know, two Gits dies, every hero takes two mortal wounds, you know, and now he's battle shocking across the board. That is the issue, is battle shock. Yep. yep. And see, I didn't look at that one that much. I picked Soul Pike, mm. which is, it's a spell that has a casting value of six, a range of 24. It's successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, visible to the caster, until so your next hero phase, if that unit makes a charge move, roll a number of dice equal to the charge roll for that unit for each four up the unit suffers one mortal wound if the unmodified casting roll is a nine or better then you can pick two enemy units within range instead of one i just thought about some of the armies now that really have a lot of ability to charge yep. like multiple charges multiple long charges and that that might be useful for taking out a model or two mm-hmm. depending on that charge roll because if you're rolling a or nine, doing a bunch of damage 12, to a hero right yep. you know that's that charges right yeah that spirit gale sounds like crazy it's very specific it's very niche there are some armies that you don't want to cast that against corn because they're mm-hmm. going to get to roll for every single unit against that spell and 
Techless Castle, you don't want to yeah. cast it against because they're going to bounce Mortal Wounds back to you. Mm. Yeah, that's not great, right? Something like Null Myriad is just going to deny it on a 2-up. Sure. You can still do damage, but they can deny it. The last spell in the lore, the Vampire's Vile Transference, I really like on Vampire Lords on Zombie Dragon. Mm. So there's a couple of things that right away I think would normally discount it for why you would want to take it. Sure. So it's a casting value of a six and a range of nine. Not great that, you know, it's a nine. You got to be yeah. pretty close. Yeah. Well, Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon wants to be close anyways. You roll a number of dice equal to that unit's wounds characteristic. So, you know, giants, you're rolling 35 dice. Sure. Against units of goblins, you're rolling one dice. For each five up, that unit suffers a mortal wound, <laughs> yeah. and you can heal one wound allocated to the caster. On natural nine pluses, it triggers on a four up instead of a five up. Wow. This is a good way to heal your zombie dragon back up against, especially if you throw it into something that's pretty big and pretty mean. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to do a bunch of mortal wounds to that target, I Sure. Because it's not number of wounds left. It's not number of wounds suffered. It's uh, their wounds characteristic. Yep. If you're 20 wounds and you got one left, I still roll 20 dice. Mm-hmm. Okay, then let's move on to the lore of the death mages, which is pretty awesome they have two incredible spells and the third one isn't bad yeah (laughs) at all so what do you think for your first choice waste away by far waste away is the best spell in the book (laughs) yeah casting value six range of 18 if successful pick one enemy unit within range to your next hero face subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons and subtract one from damage characteristic of that unit's <laughs> weapons to minimum of one. Usually you get one or the other. Yeah. You're getting both here. And on a nine up, you get to pick two different units. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Man, Fading Vigor, I like. Yep. That one's been around forever. Uh, is a spell that has a casting value of six and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster. Subtract one from the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons to a minimum of one until your next hero phase. If the unmodified casting roll is a nine or better, subtract two from the attack characteristics instead of one. Target specific, obviously, but yep. still a, a really good spell. And then the last spell, Prison of Grief, casting value of 6 in a range of 12. Until your next hero phase, strike last affects that unit. On a 9-up, the range is 24 instead of 12. That's the part of it that I don't like, because you're already going to be casting it for something that's in range. Mm -hmm. What does extra range do for you? Like, you you know, maybe there's a juicier target 24 inches away. Mm. Cool, that wasn't part of your plan originally, so... Why am I going to change my plan? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it more complex a decision. Exactly. In an already complex game. (laughs) Right. Fair enough. The other two, when they get to their higher casting level, you know, if you're, say, like casting this on a unit of Chosen, right? Something that's three attacks, threes and threes, run one damage, two. Bring that down to one attack instead of two attacks. Yeah, I'll take that. All day. And then waste away. If you don't have another thing in range, you know, for the minus one damage to be applicable, the minus one to wound is going to be applicable for any unit that you pick. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's just a unit of zombies, right? Taking them to fives and fives is mathematically significant. Yes, especially when you're rolling that many dice. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Coolio. All right, then we're going to move on to heroes. Cool. Okay, our first hero is. Oh, I'm shocked. Nagash. It's Nagash. Yeah. And we just talked about Nagash in did. OBR. The book. And he's much better than he was. I think he is. That's Dan's opinion. But, of course, the big news for me was... We're not going to cover the whole War Scroll, by the way, listeners. His five-up ward now. 
Mm -hmm. which is very, very significant for Nagash. A lot of the other stuff is the same, except there's a couple of things in terms of invocation, right, that are different. So why don't you talk about those? Yeah, so there's nothing different between the Bone Reaper War Scroll and this one. Those two War Scrolls are the same. What we're talking about here is relevant. The invocation of Nagash, he's going to let you, in addition to what you're doing with your Soul Blight, the invocation there, bring models back. He also can bring models back, either healing up to three wounds or returning up to a wounds character of three or less, wholly within 24 inches down to wholly within nine inches. You can get six models back or, you know, you can get things with three wounds back to full. And And this is everybody within range of his aura, which Mm -hmm. starts at 24. Yes. That's a 48-inch bubble. And even if he's down to half, it's an 18-inch bubble. That's 36 inches. That's still a pretty massive bubble yes that he can affect of units to bring stuff back yeah and then the other one is the supreme lord of the undead so this is at the start of your hero phase you can pick one friendly summonable morden or osiric bone reaper unit in this case summonable is what's relevant Mm -hmm. the wounds character is a three or less roll a dice and on a three up a new replacement unit with half of the models from that unit it was destroyed rounding up is added to your army they have to be set up wholly within 12 inches and more than nine from all enemy units they can't move in the following movement phase and each destroyed unit can only be replaced once so this is additional recursion is what this is yeah the way that the soul blight book is worded you can't replace them one way or the other multiple ways Mm. Uh, there's another hero gorslav that can also replace units Mm -hmm. you can't take gorslav and nagash and then take a unit of 20 zombies and bring back three tens right you can't do that right understood Uh, you get one ten but you might get three cracks at it in soul blight he's pretty good because the thing that you're typically missing with nagash is a bunch of bodies Mm -hmm. here you go guess what (laughs) <laughs> a lot of cheap bodies in this book. Okay. A lot of them. Right. Tons and tons and tons and tons of them. And he knows all the spells from both the lores, yep. which is pretty useful. Okay. The next is your bestest buddy, Manfred. My bestest buddy, Fettuccini Manfredo. <laughs> so Manfred's back with some rules that aren't insane anymore, which is good. Movement 16 down to 7, 3 up save, bravery 10, 14 wounds. He has Geistvor, which is the sword, one inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. His Sickle Glaive, two inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. The Ebon Claws, one inch range, six attacks down to three, fours by threes, rend two, damage two. And the Ghosts, one inch range, six attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. Two cast, two unbind wizard. Mm-hmm. Warmaster for all of Soulblight armies, not just Legion of Night, which is a pretty big deal. Yes. You know, fly, mount, companions. He has the armor of Templehof. The first wound or mortal wound in each phase is negated. That's not bad. He has the sword of unholy power. This spells out a certain allocation order okay. that you have to do. So each assigned in this unit fights. Any wounds caused by this unit's ebon claws, sickle glaive, and spectral claws and daggers must be allocated first, followed by any wounds caused by this unit's geist for the sword. Okay. Oh, this is a new thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. The order of operations. Okay. Because what Got your it. opponent used to do is allocate the wounds in such a way where Geistvor never killed anything. In this case, you have to allocate it last, basically. If he kills anybody with the sword, until the end of the phase, add one of the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Legion of Knights summonable units that are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Pretty good. Mortark of Night changed pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. Manfred has strikes first if it makes a charge move in the same turn. In addition, if this unit receives the redeploy command, it can attempt a charge move instead of making that D6 inch Wow. Okay. Ooh. That's pretty big. There's some pretty silly things you can do with that. Counter charge. Wow. Counter charge in your opponent's movement phase means that you can potentially pin units in 
to very specific places, preventing them from moving or forcing them to retreat and meaning that they are going to be unable to charge later. Sure. Cool. He has the hunger, which is a rule that we are going to see throughout this book. Remember this because we're not going to keep talking about it, just so you know. Yep. Each time this unit fights, after all of its attacks have been resolved, you can heal up to a number of wounds allocated to this unit, equal to the number of wounds and mortal wounds caused by those attacks that were allocated to enemy units, to a maximum of six. I love this difference. Instead of having to kill a unit, it's so much better that it's just... I mean, even though it's a maximum of six... I think it's great. It's the when it triggers that's the most important part here. It's after it fights. Mm -hmm. So you can get a bunch of wounds back to hopefully hang in there and fight Mm. whatever Mm. it is that you're in combat with as opposed to waiting until the end of the combat phase when you are potentially going to be dead. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. the trigger point is huge. Different. Okay. Then his spell. Then his spell, Wind of Death, casting value 7, range 18. Pick one enemy unit within range, invisible. Roll a dice for that unit and each other enemy unit within 6 inches. On a 3-up, the unit being rolled 4 suffers D3 mortal wounds. Mm. Great. Okay. Target a unit that's all strung out and you're going to hit everything in the army. Okay. (laughs) Then we have Queen Nefrata. Mm -hmm. All right. The Mortok of Blood... She has 16 down to 7 for move, 14 wounds, 3 up save, 10 bravery. She has Achmet Har, 1 inch range, 5 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 2, 1 damage. And then Akin Seth, which is 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 2s by 3s, 2 ren, 2 damage. Skeletal Claws on the mount, 1 inch, and the attacks go from 6 down to 3. 4 by 3s, minus 2, 2. That's still pretty good. And then Spectral Claws for the ghosts, as always, 1 inch, 6. 4 by 4s, no rend, 1 damage. Alright, she is a wizard. She's 2 by 2 wizard. She has a mount, a she can fly, and Dagger of Jet. At the end of any phase, any phase, hmm. that's your opponent's or Yours, correct? Yeah. yeah, or if you can figure out right. an out-of-phase fight. Yeah, okay. If any wounds caused by this unit's Akhmet Har were allocated to an enemy hero in that phase, and that enemy hero has not been slain, roll a dice on a 5-up, hero is slain. That's pretty good. Yeah, they got Belladama in my game 5. Oh, Twilight's Allure. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target friendly Legion of Blood units, which include her, wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Mortarka Blood... At the end of deployment, before determining control of objectives, you can pick up the three friendly Legion of Blood units on the battlefield. First, remove this unit from the battlefield, set it up, again, wholly within your territory, then remove those friendly Legion of Blood units from the battlefield and set them up, again, wholly within your territory, not within a certain distance of her. And so there's a very important FAQ that came out for this. As written, you could basically just put your units on the line. Okay. The FAQ was written with, with the additional language of whatever the deployment requirements are, right? So nine inches from the center, typically. Mm-hmm. That also applies to this redeploy. Okay, that's still pretty good. Because this was crazy. Yeah, I can I, bet. Where, where, anywhere. Yeah. Sure. The Hunger, we just talked about that. That's all vampires. Dark Mist is her spell. It's a very good one. Spell that has a casting value of six and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Legion of Blood unit, wholly within range, visible of the caster. Ignore negative modifiers. There's an FAQ that came out okay. where it's now positive and negative modifiers. Okay. So it, it before, is, is plain ethereal. as written in the yes. book, it is only negative modifiers to save rolls, which would make them ethereal plus kind of yeah <laughs> but now it's just straight ethereal which is still really good really good yeah nothing yeah. wrong with that the two up unrendable blood knights was <laughs> pretty nuts was a little silly <laughs> 
that were minus one to hit. Okay. Yeah, that was a little silly. Sure. She's really good. The Legion of Blood lists are really good right now, even with the FAQs. Without them, they were silly. Prince Vordai, he is 14-inch move down to 8, 3-up save, bravery 10, 16 wounds. This is your named Castellai hero. Mm-hmm. He has the Pestilential Breath, 12-inch range, D6 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 3. He's got his Blood Lance, 2-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 2. The Maw, 3-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 3, damage 3. And his Sword-like Claws, 2-inch range, 7 attacks down to 4. 4s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. One cast, one unbind wizard. Just like Neff and Manfred, he is a war master across all Soulblight armies. Mm-hmm. Fly, mount. Fist and a gash once per turn if this unit's on the battlefield. When a friendly Castellite vampire unit gains an ability with the Might of the Crimson Keep battle trait, you can pick one other friendly Castellite vampire unit wholly within 24 inches of this unit that has not already gained that ability and that has not gained any other abilities with the Might of the Crimson Keep battle trait in that turn. That unit gains the same ability. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. You're going to load him up first, and then you're going to power up your other units. It's a pretty cool thing. Okay. I think he's probably a little overcosted. The other Castellai stuff isn't as strong, but I think that as some of that, some of that stuff comes down, he's going to be very interesting. So the Bloodlance charge tips up to Ren 3 and damage 3 if you made a charge move in the same turn. Has the Hunger. Terror, which is a new rule for anybody on Zombie Dragon. Enemy units can't receive an Inspiring Presence while they're within 3 inches of... Prince Fordheim, or Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, or just a regular wow. Zombie Dragon. It's pretty good. He has Quick Blood, casting value of a 7. If successfully cast, the Strike First effect applies to the caster until your next hero phase. Yeah, wow. That's... Okay. He's still good. Yeah. I think he's just a little spendy yes. for what he does, because his special rule is neat, and it plays in Castellai, and right now Castellai, the stuff isn't great okay yeah which is yeah kind of a bummer he's 470 so oh okay wow more than that yeah kind of a tall order wow all right then we have luca vi she is one of the weird awesome monsters mm-hmm. in this book 12 inch move 11 wounds three up save 10 bravery she has a rapier a rapier sorry about that a rapier what the heck is that <laughs> a rapier one inch range five attacks three by threes minus two two damage the gore drenched talons three inch range Three attacks, three by twos, wow, minus two and three damage. Holy mutt, those are really good. Didn't realize that. Impaling Tail is one inch, D6 attacks, four by fours, minus one and one. She is a one by one wizard. She is a war master, and she is a queen amongst monsters. Once per turn at the end of the charge phase, you can pick one friendly Avangori monster wholly within 12 inches of her. You can carry out two different monsters rampages, but that monster in that phase instead of one, she is keyworded Avangori, so she is keyword locked. Nightmare Miasma, while the enemy is within three inches of any friendly units with this ability, worsen the Ren characteristic of this unit's melee weapons, and that's a Vangorian Lord thing, I believe, still. Yep. The Hunger is the Hunger. The Queen's Dictat is a spell that has a casting value of 6 and a range of 24. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster. Until your next hero phase, friendly Avangori monsters are eligible to fight in the combat phase if they are within 6 inches of that enemy unit instead of 3 inches. And they can move an extra 3 when they pile in. It's a good rule. Yeah. Yeah, her picking up the full Hunger that way is big. The two monstrous rampages is big, especially when we get to what Avangori does. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. The Vangorian Lord, he's going to be very familiar here. 
12 inch move, 3 up save, bravery 10, 10 wounds. Oh, there we go. Okay. Use the Nightmare Saber, 1 inch range, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1 damage 2. The Gorgeron's talents are the same. The Impaling Tail is the same. 1 by 1 wizard. Mm. He has Festering Feast. Once <laughs> per turn, at the end of the combat phase, you can pick one friendly Soulblight Gravelord's monster that is not a hero. <laughs> this is nuts, man. So your Terror Geist or Zombie Dragons that are unridden, that's wholly within 12 inches of this unit, and that has destroyed any enemy units in that phase, heal all wounds allocated to that monster. That could be quite impactful. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Nightmare Miasma, The Hunger, and then he's got the spell Cursed Reflection. Yep. Casting value of a 5 and range 24 inches. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Soulblight Gravelord's monster, wholly within range invisible. That unit can use the Hunger ability from the Caster's War Scroll until your next hero phase. So this lets you power up one of the Terrorgeist or Zombie Dragons that are unridden they don't have the hunger this doesn't do anything mm. for really anything other than terrorgeist or a zombie dragon that doesn't okay. have a rider okay why don't you do radicar the wolf because i want to do radicar the beast sure radicar the wolf six inch move four up save bravery 10 six wounds he has the virkos barrel blade one inch range five attacks threes by threes run one damage two one cast, one unbind wizard. The hunger. I think one of the things we should have spelled out is the hunger is on anything that has the vampire keyword. Mm-hmm. Anything that doesn't have the hunger is not a vampire. Okay. Call the hunt in the combat phase. If this unit made a charge move in the same turn, add one of the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Virko summonable units that are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. And then loyalty to the last. If this unit's within three inches of a friendly Kasargi night guard unit before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to this unit, instead of making a ward roll or wound or mortal wound that would have been allocated to this unit. Roll a dice, and on three up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to that friendly unit instead of this one. So Radicar the Beast, I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed for the points in him, especially, and I'm glad that they took away the summoning and put it as a general thing for the wolf pack, but overall, I'm just... A little disappointed in this guy sure. at this point. For I mean, the, that's fair. For the points. Uh, so he has 8-inch move, 12 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery, because he's so cool. I just, I like all the other things he does. I do understand. Yep. Blood Slick Claws, 2-inch range, 6 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 2, 2 damage. And Piercing Blades for his little buddies, 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 2 damage. So that's pretty punchy. He has Bounding Charge, so he can run and still charge in that turn. Call to the Hunt. In the combat phase of this unit, made a charge in the same turn, add one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Virko summonable units, whoa, while they are with wholly within 12 inches of this unit. He has the hunger. Next is unleashed ferocity. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with his blood slick claws is six, the target suffers two mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. Supernatural reflexes is really good. Subtract one from hit and wound rolls that target this model, and that's shooting or melee attacks. And the beast will out. This unit cannot retreat. However, at the end of the phase, if any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to this unit in that phase, and this unit is more than 12 inches from all enemy units, this unit can move up to D6. Okay. It's kind of a weird one. All right, so he's still there. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. But yeah, 290 is too it's, high. Yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why don't you do Ivia Volga yeah. and I'll do Belladama. Yeah, I really like her. Ivia Volga is a new character. She has a 6-inch move, 6 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery. She has the Heirloom Axe, 1-inch range, 5 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 2 damage, and then the needling fangs of all her little buddy bats that are flying around. 1-inch range, 2d6, 4 by 4 minus 1, 1 damage. And she has the Hunger, of course. She is a vampire. 
She is Virkos uh, locked. She has the Shrieking Swarm subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target this unit. In addition, if this unit has any wounds allocated to it, the attack characteristic of the unit's little buddies is 12 instead of 2d6. So it locks it in at 12. And this next one I really think is a fun rule for her. Behemoth's Bane. If any enemy monsters are within three inches of her, this unit counts as 10 models for the purposes of contesting objectives, which is really good. Yeah, it's really good. That is crazy good, because otherwise she'd just be... If there's no enemy monsters, she yeah. counts as two. So, and in addition... While an enemy monster is within three inches of her, the attack characteristics of that monster's melee weapons is one. Sweet. And she's only like 140 or 130 points or something. I mean, I would love to be able to fit her in a list. I think it would be really fun. 135 points. Yeah, what's kind of weird is she's not a wizard, yes. but that's fine. Yeah, because yeah. she does some other fun things. So you talk about Mabadama. Yeah, so Belladama, 10-inch move, warp save, bravery 10, nine wounds. She has her time-warmed scimitar, one-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two, mm -hmm. and the lupine fangs and claws, one-inch range, six attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one, mm -hmm. two by two caster. Nice. Warmaster. She does have a mount, so... She has the first of the Virkos. She's plus one to cast, dispel, and unbind. In addition, if she's within three inches of any Virkos direwolf units, before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound, or instead of making a ward roll... On a three up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to one of those friendly units instead of this unit. She has the hunger. She has two spells on her war scroll, yes. like and curse. Casting value seven, range of 18. Pick an enemy unit within range, invisible to caster. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Any models in that unit were slain by the spell before removing the last slain model. You can add one unit of dire wolves to your army. Number of models in the unit must be equal to the number of models in the enemy unit that were slain by the spell. Set up the new unit within three inches of the slain model's unit and then remove the slain model from play. And then under the Killing Moon, casting value of 6 in a range of 24 inches, if successfully cast until your next hero phase, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon by a friendly Virkos, not summonable, Virkos unit, holy within range of the caster's 6, that attack scores 2 hits on the target instead of 1, make a wound roll and a save roll for sixes. Sweet. 24 inches is crazy. Yeah. It is an yep. insane range. Oh my god. It's any unit. Yeah. Every unit wholly within 24 inches of her gets oh, sixes explode. Lord, that is nuts. Yeah, it's really good. Wow. Okay. Now, this is the thing, again, that makes you so disappointed with Radicar, is she's only 170 points. She's she so good. Is well worth her points. Oh she's, my gosh. She's under cost. Way under. Especially, Average amount. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're talking about being in Virkos, we're going to get to what the heroic actions are, but one of them lets you summon a unit of wolves. Mm -hmm. She can bring no wolves, summon a unit of wolves, which I did, as her pass off. 135 points. Boom. Yeah. Gorslav. It's the man with a shovel. It is a man with a shovel. He's just. Beastie looking. He's, he's back awesome. and he's ready to shovel. It's great. Five inch move, seven wounds, six up save, ten bravery. He has his shovel, is two inch range, five attacks. It is five, not three, yep. Brendan. I got it this time. Three by three is minus one, two damage. He is the keeper of the corpse garden. This unit is within three inches of any Deadwalker zombie units. Before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to this unit, he can, instead of taking wounds or mortal wounds on a two up, allocate those wounds to a zombie, yep, which is awesome. And then we have Arise, Arise. Once per turn, per turn, 
That's yours or theirs. No. Keep reading. Okay. At the, okay. Got it. At the, I get so excited about this stuff. Just stop. Yeah. Get, get right. excited at the end of the paragraph. Okay. At the end of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly Viracos Deadwalker zombie unit that has been destroyed. A new replacement unit with half of the models from that unit that was destroyed, rounding up, is added to your army. Replacement units must be set up wholly within nine inches of this unit and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Each destroyed unit can only be replaced once. Yes, we know that. Replacement units cannot themselves be replaced. Recursion. Boom. Mm -hmm. Very so, cool. So if you're going to take the Empire of Corpses grand strategy, Gorslav is how you guarantee it. Mm -hmm. But it's only zombies. So mm -hmm. throw mm -hmm. your zombies out, get them killed. Gorslav's there to make sure they come back. Absolutely. So, yeah. Torgilius. So cool. What an upgrade this dude has gotten from a War oh Scroll. Gosh. <laughs> Five inch move, six up save. Yeah. Bravery 10, six wounds. He has a shooting attack, 18 inch range, 2d6, fours by fours, rend one damage two, that's, which is so dumb. That's not bad. It's really good. It's really good when you don't roll threes for the number of attacks that <laughs> of you <course>. have. <laughs> Which in my game six, I rolled three times in a row, and my opponent went, man, I am so sorry. Like, <laughs> he's got yeah. claws and fangs from his bird, one-inch range, four attacks, fours sure. by fours, no rend damage one. He's a one-cast, one-unbind wizard. He has the death mage keyword, so this is a really good non-necromancer delivery system mm -hmm. for a death mage spell. He has trusted lieutenant. Friendly Virko sub-level units have a ward of a five-up while they're holier than 12 inches. Oh, in Wow. That's, Holy That's mud. what you take him for. It's Brendan, really good. Really nuts. Now, I want to say something about some of the units in this book. There are some of these things that you have to have Cursed City or you have to go to a third-party buyer like eBay or somewhere else to get some of these characters. Yep. Because they're not on... They're not conventionally available. Yeah. On, you know, Games Workshop or something like Gorslav and like Torgilius, they are both... Cursed City. But I would tell you that there are a lot of people, probably somebody you know, who has already painted a bunch of these models that I'm sure would be happy to lend them to you if you need them for a tournament or something. But just a heads up on these things. You're going, where are these things? They sound so cool. All right. So we have Watch Captain Hallgrim. Oh, Skeleton Man. Mm -hmm. Awesomeness. He is a four-inch move because he's a skeleton. Five wounds, four up save, ten bravery. He has the Cursed Halberd, which is 2-inch range, 5 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 2 damage. He has the Cursed Halberd if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the Halberd is 6. It causes 2 mortal wounds in addition to any damage it inflicts. Very good. And then he has Disciplined Advance. So if you are taking Death Rattle units, this unit can issue at the double command up to 3 times the friendly death rattle units in the same phase if it does so no command points are spent the second and third time this unit issues the command in that phase okay that's neat fair yeah, yeah. making those skeletons move a little faster yep. nothing wrong with that if you're gonna go skeleton heavy for some reason skeletons in your rave guard yep okay lady annika the thirsting blade mm -hmm. six inch move four up save bravery 10 six wounds she had the blade yeah probostian yeah one inch range five attacks threes by threes run one damage two hunger she has supernatural speed. She's got yeah. a ward of a four up. <laughs> and during deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it on one side and set up an ambush as a reserve unit. If you do so at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit anywhere within enemy territory and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Mm-hmm. Cool. But her coolio rule. Yes. At the end of any phase, if any wounds caused by the attacks made with her blade in that phase were allocated to a hero or monster, and that enemy unit has not been destroyed... 
Worth in the save characteristic of that unit by one to a minimum <laughs> of a six plus for the rest uh, of the battle. Rest of the battle. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty coolio. All right. Kritzka, the rat man. This is cool guy. Six inch move, six wounds, four up save, ten bravery. He has his gnaw blade, one inch range, five attacks, three by three is minus one, two. He has the hunger. He has scurrying retreat. In the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight, you can say that it will make a scurrying retreat. If it does so, this unit retreats instead of fighting. Okay. Useful. Yep. At the start of the combat phase, this is next rule, the Verminous Court, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit that has an artifact of power. <laughs> this is really crazy cool. On a three up, that artifact of power can no longer be used. Wow. If it was used to enhance a weapon, it's just a weapon now. Yep. Both of those rules are cool if you can get them to go off. Yeah. But they're very, very cool. And I know it would make me, if I see them across the battlefield, I'm like, I got to do something about that because I don't want them getting close. You know, it's like they're both really good. So Kritza also has the summonable keyword, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny. Because he's, just, yeah, cause, so he can come back. He can come yeah, back. Which is fun. So they took that out of his war scroll and made it a, yeah, yeah very cool. Well, that's a cool way to handle it, I think. Right, Brendan, you love the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. You've used that a lot. I have. Yep. 14-inch move down to 8, 3-up save, bravery 10, 16 wounds, pestilential breath, 12-inch range, d6 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 1, damage 3. You gotta tick between the lance and the sword. Lance is 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 2, damage 2. The sword is 1-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 1, damage 2. The maw, 3-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, run 3, damage 3. And the sword-like claws, 2-inch range, 7 attacks down to 4, 4s by 3s, run 1, damage 2. Is there any reason you wouldn't take the lance? I don't see one. Okay. All right. Because you're going to talk about a special rule for it, but yeah. it just seems like an obvious choice. So. One cast, one unbind wizard. It's got the hunger. Death lance charge. Rend goes up to three and damage up to three if you take the lance and made a charge move. <laughs> yeah. Terror. Uh-oh. Enemy units can't receive inspiring presence while they're within three inches of any units with this ability. Mm-hmm. And he has curse of exsanguination, which is a terrible rule. Casting value of 7, range of 18. Pick one enemy unit within range invisible. That unit suffers one mortal wound. If that mortal wound is allocated to a model in that unit and that model is not slain by that mortal wound, roll a dice. On a 3 up, that model suffers one mortal wound. If that mortal wound is allocated and that model is not slain, keep rolling until no mortal wounds is caused, the mortal wounds is negated, or the model is slain. Just take file transference. Right. Just do that. Yeah. Now this next guy I really like. This is one of those things where I read his, his little book. story. Where yeah. I read his story okay. here. You know, his lore. And it was like, that is really cool. And then I read his rules and like, that is really cool too. So then I'm listening to his book and I'll talk about that. Okay. But this led me to listen to his story. So Cato Ezekiel, he is the Hollow King of which the book speaks. And he has six inch move, six wounds, three up, save, ten bravery. He has his great sword, which is two inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus two rend, two damage. He has a one by one wizard. He has the hunger. He has the court of the lost. At the start of your hero phase, if this unit is on the battlefield, you can say it will summon a spirit from the court of the lost. If you do so, pick one of the effects below. That effect lasts until the start of your next hero phase. Spirit of the Steed. This unit has a move characteristic of 14 inches. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Spirit of the Tutor. Add one to casting, unbinding, and dispelling rolls for this unit. Spirit of the Fallen. If an attack made by this unit wounds the target, that attack causes the number of mortal wounds equal to the weapon's damage characteristic in the attack sequence ends. Now, what's really cool when I talked about, you know, his story, this stuff 
is all incorporated. Like this stuff was all pulled from the story. So now that I'm listening to it, I look at the war scroll going, oh yeah, I remember that from the story. It was very cool. So the last one is his spell, which is retribution or salvation. So again, this is very story driven. Retribution or salvation is a spell that has a casting value of six, a range of 18. If it's successfully cast, pick one unit within range invisible to the caster. If that unit is an enemy unit, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. If that enemy unit has the chaos keyword, it suffers three mortal wounds because Cato hates chaos for reasons. If that unit is a friendly soul blight gravelord summonable unit you can heal up to d3 wounds allocated to that unit no wounds or allocated you can return the number of models that have a combined wounds characteristic of d3 or less cool yeah bring back a wolf or something whatever it is just a neat character i would love to incorporate him because again of the story it'd be really really cool Cool models, and right? actually a cool model and you're going to talk about the vampire lord for us mm-hmm. if i was going to take a vampire lord i would take the kato model okay because <laughs> it's just so much cooler yeah so the vampire lord six inch move three up save bravery 10 five wounds he has the dynastic war relic profile you're very familiar with one inch range five attacks threes by threes run one damage two one cast one unbind wizard fly hunger he has the crimson feast once per turn at the start of the combat phase you can pick one friendly soul white grave lord summonable unit Holy within 12 inches of this unit and add one of the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons until the end of that phase. The same unit cannot benefit from this ability more than once per phase. Okay. Not bad. Not bad at all. And then we move on. We're getting close here. We have... To the Bloodseeker Palanquin. Okay. So... Before we go over these three, you're going to tell three, me that the... Three, two, Mortis Engine's a unit. Oh, Mortis Engine is a unit. So before we go over these two, and then three, when we talk about the Mortis Engine eventually, do you really think, again, it's just me looking at this and looking at all the other stuff, that these three units are necessary or really useful, or are they just kind of like... It? Mortis Engines are good. Mortis Engines are Mortis good. Mortis Engines okay. are good. All right. Bloodseeker Palanquin, not super sold on. And the Coven Throne... Uh, okay. So let's talk about the Palaquin and the Throne. So the Palaquin is 14-inch move, down to 8. 4-up save, bravery 10, 12 wounds. If a melee weapon, the Bloodletting Blade. 1-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 1 damage, 2. And the Spectral Claws and Blades, 12 attacks, down to 6. 4s by 4s, no rend, damage 1. 1-cast, one 1-unbind one wizard. The Hunger. A Promising Concoction. The first time an enemy hero is slain by an attack made by this unit... The rest of the battle, add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly vampire units while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit, and you can carry out two different heroic actions with this unit at the start of the hero phase instead of one. So you have to find a way for this unit to kill another unit that is specifically a hero. Yeah. On profile, that is five attacks, threes by threes, run one damage two, Mm -hmm. and 12 attacks, fours by fours. Good luck with that, my friends. Okay. Yes. So I guess you could kill it with your shooting attack here. <laughs> yeah, the Whale sure. of the Damned in your shooting yeah. phase. Roll dice for each enemy unit within range. This unit's Whale of the Damned, which is 16 down to 10. And on a 4-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So it's a nice area of effect mortal wound situation. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Or you could try and kill that hero with Blood Siphon, casting Valve of 6, a range of 12 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy hero within range and roll a dice. On a 1 to 2, the target suffers one mortal wound. On a 3 to 4, D3. On a 5 to 6, the target suffers D6 mortal wounds. Well, you could cast a spell, you could shoot, and you could punch. Yep. So, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Or, you know, like, it's not a monster, so you get no monstrous action. There's no impact Mm -hmm. hits. Yep. (laughs) 
You just got to make it happen. Okay. Let's yeah. move over to Coven Throne. Move. 14 down to 8. 12 wounds. 4 up save. 10 bravery. We have a stiletto. 1 inch range. 5 attacks. 3 by 3s. Minus 1, 2. I'm shocked. I've not seen that before, Brendan. I feel like we keep saying the same thing. Tongue's going to go sore from five, threes, threes, one, two. <laughs> Needle sharp poniards, whatever. One inch range, six attacks, three by threes, minus one, one. And then spectral claws and blades from the ghosts, one inch range, 12 down to six, four by fours, none, one. A one by one wizard flies and has the hunger, tactical insight. This unit can issue the same command up to two times in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly Soul Blight Gravelord summitable unit. No command point is spent the second time you do that. Okay. That's pretty good. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Yeah. For however many points, sure, great. Scrying pool, if you take the first turn in the current battle round, this unit can attempt to cast one extra spell in your hero phase. If you take the second turn, you receive one extra command point. Okay. Fair. That's, That's pretty not good. Bad. That's not bad. Spell. Undying Servitude is a spell that has a casting value of 7, range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one enemy hero with a wounds characteristic of 6 or less within range, visible to the caster. That's possible, sure. The unit suffers D3 mortals. If the hero is slain before removing the hero, you can add one vamp... <laughs> That's nuts. If that happened, you can add one vampire lord to your army. Wow. It's really crazed. It would just be fun to see that happen. Yeah. Just one time in your Sigmar career. That would be nuts. Set up that unit within three inches of the slain hero and then remove it from the slain hero. <laughs> so for like 275, I think this unit's interesting. Okay. I don't know. It's not like the Bloodseeker Palaquin. You're just like, what the heck? Yeah, what is this? Uh, the White King on foot. Four inch move. Three up save. Bravery 10. Five wounds. One inch range. Five attacks. Threes by threes. Run one damage too. He has the beheading strike. Sixes to hit cause two mortal wounds in addition to any damage it inflicts. Good. And then Lord of the Shambling Bones. Once <laughs> per turn, at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Death Rattle Skeletons unit or Graveguard unit, wholly within 12 inches. To your next hero phase, hit rolls of six, score two hits instead of one. Okay, exploding sixes, cool. Yep. And then we have the White King on a skeletal steed. 12 inch move, seven wounds. Three up save, ten bravery. He has a tomb lance. Listeners, we are going to let you guess what the profile is for this weapon. We this are not ridiculous. going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> the horse has hooves and teeth, as all death horses do, right? Range of one, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. It has the king's charge. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one on a two up. D3 mortals, so impact hits. And then we have Lord of Trampling Bones. You can reroll charge rolls for friendly black knights. Wholly within 12 inches of this unit. In addition... If that rule ended there, it's already excellent. Okay. In addition, if a friendly Black Knight's unit finishes a charge move wholly within 12 inches of this unit, the effect of the Deathly Charge ability is triggered on a 4-up instead of a 5-up. Which is so silly. When mm -hmm. we get to Black Knights, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculously good. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Now, both of those guys are summitable heroes. They so you are. could bring them back. Bring them back. Yep. Nice. Okay. We got our boy, the Necromancer. Yeah, yeah. Took from him something that should never have been taken from him. Five-inch <laughs> move, six-up save, bravery ten, five wounds. He got his staff, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage two. That's different. It is wow. different. Not wow. by much. 
One cast, one unbind wizard. Yeah. He has undead minions. If he's within three inches of any friendly soul blight grave ward summonable units, before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to the unit, or instead of making a ward roll, on a four up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to one of those friendly units instead of this one. Mm. And he has Van Hell's Dance. RIP to the real one. Casting value of six, range of 18. Pick one friendly soul blight grave ward summonable unit, wholly within range, visible to caster, and with three inches of any enemy units. That unit can immediately fight. Sadness. Very Such sad. a bummer. From there, that is all of the regular heroes. Yep. The rest is Underworld's Warbands. Of which we'll talk about. Yeah. Couple, so Keep an eye out for the Sons of Velmorn. They're the one that's really good. The rest of them are whatever. Okay. So. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon. And all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Now we're going to flip all the way back, right? And we're going to talk about the other part of the battle traits in this book, the <laughs> sub-factions, yep. which actually give you all the flavor and all the different ways to play these armies. Because based on which sub-faction you pick, just kind of like what we talked about with Bone Reapers, changes significantly what your army does. Okay. Now we get to move into enhancements and legions because... They are as one here. They are the same things, yep. <laughs> All included in the same thing. So you want to start it out with re- Legions of Blood, which is Nefrata's folks. Yeah. One of the things to point out is you're going to have to pick one of the five sub-factions, mm. mandatory, because that's how you get your command traits and your artifacts. The wording is very important on some of the battle traits, because some of them do very similar things, but they trigger at different times, or they do slightly different things. And what's really cool is, while it changes some of your battle line, you can basically play the same army, change your legion, just like what we talked about with OBR last time, and you have a totally different way of playing. Okay. So Legion of Blood is very vampire-oriented. Mm-hmm. So the rule that they have is unparalleled expertise. Friendly Legion of Blood vampire heroes within three inches of an enemy unit is bloodthirsty. If you're more than three inches away, you're empowered. You add plus one to the attacks characters with <laughs> melee weapons if you're bloodthirsty. That includes your mount. Mm-hmm. And you had one to casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for a unit that is empowered. Oh. The vampire heroes are super tooled up in Legion of Blood. <laughs> sure. And yeah. what you get on top of that is you have two heroic actions that you can use instead of the regular heroic actions. And I love this. I've talked about it before that the heroic actions are specific to the book. That is just so cool. So the first one is Premeditated Bloodshed. Pick one friendly Legion of Blood vampire hero until the end of this turn. War rolls cannot be made for wounds and mortal wounds caused by attacks made by this hero. That's great. Yeah. It's super good. And then the other one, Immortal Majesty. Pick one friendly Legion of Blood vampire hero until the end of this turn. Your opponent must spend two command points instead of one to shoot the all-out defense and inspiring presence commands to enemy units within 12 inches of that That's hero. That's an excellent debuff. Whoa. And both of those are great. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get both off unless you're using a Galatian Champion right now. Sure. Which kind of makes both of those a little less effective. But the turning off wards and being plus one to attack on a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon is really, really, really good. These are in addition to whatever other heroic actions sure. you have access your normal to normally. Yep. Sure. Okay. And then we have command traits. There are three of those. What are you thinking? Doomed minions. Yeah. After deployment, but before the first battle round begins, you can pick up the D3 enemy units that are not heroes or monsters. Attacks made with melee weapons that target that unit score a hit on an unmodified hit roll of a two up. <laughs> while that unit is within three inches of this general. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So it's not just the general that gets the two up to hit. It's any units mm-hmm. get the two up to hit as long as the general is within three inches of that doomed minion unit. That reminds me of Heart where in the Sylvan where you pick three units before 
before the battle to get that plus one to hit. So yeah. this is much better than that, though. If you get a unit that normally has a five up to hit, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, sweet. So that's the one I picked as well. I, I think that's very... Definitely the strongest. How about the artifacts? This one's also pretty cut and dry to me. Cloak of Mist and Shadows. Yeah. You ignore modifiers, positive and negative, to save rolls for attacks that target the bearer. Mm-hmm. So you put that on a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. You take Neferata. Neferata turns something else ethereal. Now you have two very scary units of ethereal somethings rolling around the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Yeah, you can go Mortal Majesty and turn off your ability to all-out defense against those things, or <laughs> not really take Battle Shock. It's pretty good. Legion of Blood is pretty powerful. Legion of Blood also unlocks for Battle Line Black Knights. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and we're going to talk about them. They've got some potential. They certainly do have some potential. Yeah, they're. Uh, you and I were talking about that in the car. It's uh, they're not nothing. No. All right, then we have Legion of Night, which is Manfred's... Manfred's Legion. Folks, yeah. And the battle trait is Ageless Cunning. Once per turn, during the enemy charge phase, after an enemy unit finishes a charge move, you can pick one friendly Legion of Night unit within 12 inches of that enemy unit and more than three inches from all enemy units. That unit can attempt a charge. It's really good. That reminds me, wasn't there an OBR thing that we had that was something like yep. that? The Mortis Praetorians have yep. exactly the same rule. Okay, excellent. Then we have Swift Form, and this is the two heroic actions that are specific to Legion of Night. The first one is Swift Form. Pick one friendly Legion of Night vampire hero more than three inches from all enemy units. Remove that unit from the battlefield. Set it up again on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. That hero cannot move in the following movement phase, but of course it could charge. Yeah. Okay. And then into the jaws of death. At the end of the charge phase, you can carry out this monstrous rampage with a friendly Legion of Night zombie dragon or terror geist instead of any other monstrous action you can carry out with that unit. Into the jaws of death, pick one enemy unit within six inches of this unit that made a charge move in this phase and roll 2d6, add three to the roll if that enemy unit is within one half inch of this unit. If the roll is greater than the unmodified charged roll for that charge move, this unit can attack with its pestilential breath or death streak in that phase and must target that enemy unit. Uh, potentially basically gives you access to double unleash. Mm-hmm. Because you could unleash hell, and then you could also into the jaws of death. Yep, and because you could do this during the enemy charge phase, or yes. right, which yep. is out of phase. Great uh, command traits. Mm-hmm. What do we have here? I like the bait. While this general is mm-hmm. on the battlefield, you had one to save rolls and ward rolls for attacks that target friendly Legion of Night summonable units in the first battle round. Be a little more defensive early and... And I picked Unbending Will. It's a good one too. Models in friendly Legion of Night summonable units count as two models instead of one for the purpose of contesting objections while they're wholly within 12 of this general. So you got a unit of 40 zombies there count as 80? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that's nuts! Or 15 of something counts as 30 or yeah, 10 counts as... Becomes a very, very tall order. Yeah, that math is just nuts. Yeah, yeah. that could be really good. Alright, now how about artifacts? What are you thinking? I really like Morbeg's Claw. Mm. In your hero phase, if the bearer is more than three inches from all enemy units, you can say that they will carve sigils in the ground. If you do so, add two to the casting rolls for friendly Legion of Night wizards, wholly within 12 inches of the bearer, until your next hero phase. However, the bearer cannot make a normal move, run, retreat, or attempt to charge until your next hero phase. I mean, that's fine because this is something obviously you're planning for. Yeah. And you would pre-position somebody to, to do be this. able to 
almost guarantee that something gets off. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. I yeah. like that. And it means you don't have to take a corpse cart. A corpse cart is one of these things that gives right. you plus one to casting. Yep. It gives you the bonuses to casting that you would normally have access to in like Legion of Blood, mm-hmm. but this is done in place of an artifact. What did you have, Dan? No, that was my that was choice. Okay. The other th- reason I liked that was that if you have some smaller wizards, like you have a necromancer, you have somebody else who casts, you know, this is within 12 inches of the bear. Yeah. So you could have multiple wizards that have that plus two. Mm-hmm. And I really like the fact that that's, you know, it multiplies like that. Really good. Buffs more than one unit. All right. Well, here are my favorite buddies. I know you like them because you use this one. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great, great success. Yes, yes, you did. So why don't you talk about it? We both love this one. So Virkos, their regular rule is the least important thing here. Right. In the combat phase, after a friendly Virkos hero has fought for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly Virkos unit that has not yet fought in that combat phase. Is within three inches of an enemy unit, and that is wholly within 12 inches of that friendly Virkos hero. That unit fights immediately. Note that you can't chain a bunch of heroes in a row <laughs> right. and then pick another unit. So their heroic actions, it's important to point out, only are triggerable in your hero phase. Mm-hmm. The other ones we've discussed at this point are any hero phase. Yeah. The first of which is Pack Alpha. You pick one friendly Virkos vampire hero, then pick one friendly Virkos deadwalker unit, then 12 inches of that hero invisible to them. You can add D3 models to that unit. They added the keyword summonable to that because before you were able to add D3 corpse carts to <laughs> corpse carts. This allows you to go over your maximum size because this is additions. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It um, just made me think of wolves right away. If you can have a hero running with them, mm-hmm. you got a unit of 10. Oh, now I have a unit of 13. By the time I get to you, I get a unit of 16. It's like, whoa, potential. I rolled a lot of ones yeah, for yeah. wolf. And, but even on average, you're talking about you know adding two per turn. Yeah. And that's significant. It is meaningful. Considering it's free. free. You know, that's really good. And then the last one? Yep. Kin of the Wolf. Pick one friendly Virkos vampire hero. If you do so, you can add one unit of dire wolves to your army. Unit must be set up wholly within nine of the hero, carrying out the heroic action, and more than nine from all enemy units. That dire wolves unit cannot move in the following movement phase, and you cannot carry out this heroic action more than once per battle. So you get a free unit of wolves for being Virkos as long as you have a a vampire. Which is what they took from Radikar, because he used to be able to do that. Yep. They moved it to a army wide. Yep. So traits... Yeah, I picked Hunter's Snare. Yep. I didn't like a whole lot of these, really, but that one seemed okay. For the purpose of contesting objectives, this general counts as a number of models equal to their wound characteristic. Wow. Yep. Very good. So one of the things that's important to point out is Virkos unique units are allowed to have command traits and artifacts. Mm-hmm. Specifically Virkos units in Virkos can do this. Yes. This is the exception to the rule. This is the first time that we've seen this rule anywhere so like you can make belladama your general and give her Mm -hmm. hunter snare like i did pretty unusual and you can give her an artifact too yes which is crazy just buff her up already for we already talked about how great a value she is for 170 now she gets a command trait and an artifact so you liked hunter snare what about the trophies all three of them are good Mm -hmm. the olfen kearney phylactery is what i took with uh, my list. Add one to war rolls for friendly summonable units for the purpose of the Deathless Minions battle trait <laughs> while they're wholly within nine inches of the bearer. This is important because so this it doesn't stack with Torgilius's aura. That right. would be crazy. Sure. But it also means that you can get two units that you could... To five ups. Yeah, yep, which is really five nice. five up bubbles rolling around the field. Yeah, that would be very, very nice. All right, that's the one I picked. I just thought uh, the other one to talk about, the standard of the Olfen Watch, isn't bad. If the bearer is on the battlefield, you can roll the dice each time your opponent spends a command point. On a four up, you receive one extra command point. That wouldn't be bad against 
I guess I have to ask the question, if you're playing, say, OBR, mm-hmm. and they have a potload of command points, do their command points count as part of this? Yeah. So every time they're rolling for those eight command, using those I, eight command I points. I see you did not watch the battle report between Nick and I. I did Dias not. Cat. Did he not had this, and I had OBR, oh. and he had a lot of command points. It's conditional, and there aren't a whole lot of armies that are like OBR that have a pot load. But mm-hmm. Gits have a fair amount still, don't they? Mm-hmm. Not as many as they used to. No, not... Okay. Yeah. That just seemed like something interesting to consider. All right, so Castellai is next. This is Fordrys. Uh, folks right might of the crimson keep is the rule at the end of the combat phase if any models enemy models were slain by attacks made with melee weapons by a friendly castellite vampire unit doesn't have to be a hero a vampire unit in that phase you can pick one relevant ability opposite to apply to that friendly unit for the rest of the battle if more than one of the abilities opposite would apply to that unit you must pick which ability that unit gains it cannot gain the same ability more than once per battle but you can have one of each Right. Yep. They you are can conditional. Only, you can only gain one at a time. Correct. Uh, but there are ways to stack these as well based on, isn't there some things where you can, if this hero does this thing, it can also give... You can give them to other units right. with the right things. So like, right. let's say your unit of Blood Knights picked up, you know, adding one to the unit's move characteristic. Vordai can say, cool, you get it. And then also you, this unit over here, you get it. Okay, right. But it doesn't stack. Okay, so you can't have more than one, as you Correct. say. Correct. If the slain model was a hero or monster, add one to damage characteristics of that unit's melee weapons, excluding those of their mounts. If the slain model had a wounds characteristic of three or more and was not a hero or monster, you add one to attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. Okay, cool. If the slain model had a wounds characteristic of two or less, add one to the move characteristic. Okay, all mm-hmm. good, all solid. Masters of Retaliation are the heroic actions. The first one, pick one friendly cast alive vampire hero until the end of that turn. At the end of each phase, if any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to that hero in that phase, and that hero was not slain, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of that hero. On a two up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Oh, okay. It's neat. Yeah. If you're going to be in the right place and mortal wounds are going to trigger, then yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, yeah. put yourself in the midst of your enemies. The next one is Battle Crazed. Add one to wound rolls. Oh, hello. Bing, bing, bing. It's always good. For attacks made with melee weapons by this unit in the following combat phase. Love that one. You pair it with all attack. You've got a great Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. Oh, plus one to hit and wound. Wow. Yeah, pretty okay. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Command Traits. What are you thinking? I had difficulty with these three. Yeah, so there's two that I like. Undead Blade Lord, once per turn if this general is on the battlefield, when a friendly Castellite Vampire unit gains an ability with the Might of the Crimson Keep, if this general has not already gained, the general gains the same ability. There's where that thing is where you can add it to somebody else. Yep. Okay, and I picked Shifting Keep just because I like things where you can teleport. I... (laughs) I always have loved armies that you can do that kind of thing. During deployment, if this general is on the battlefield, instead of setting up a Castellite Blood Knights unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side. Say it's set up in the Crimson Keep as a reserve unit. You can set up one unit in the Crimson Keep for each unit that you have set up on the battlefield. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up one or more of the reserve units in the Crimson Keep on the battlefield, wholly within six inches of the battlefield edge and more than nine inches from enemy units. All right, I like that. Not bad having a unit of five Blood Knights show up somewhere that would give you... Yeah, off the board edge is tough. They already have a high movement. So the number of places that you wouldn't be able to get to early like that are are pretty low. Okay, fair. Artifacts. Okay, I picked the Red Casket. 
Okay. Add one to run and charge rolls. Three to run and charge rolls. Add three to run and charge rolls, yeah. One times three. That's what I yeah. meant to say. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Especially for like blood knights and other units that move quickly already. I like the fragments. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by enemy units within three inches of the bearer. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Zombie dragons have big bases. Yeah, truth. And here we go. Avangori Monster Mash. Yeah. Cursed Abominations. Once per turn at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one friendly Avangori monster within three inches of any enemy units. Till the end of that phase, use the top row on that unit's damage yeah. table regardless of how many wounds it has suffered. It's wonderful. It's pretty good. Always good. They have two monstrous actions. The first one is Maddening Hunger. You pick up to D3 enemy units within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. If the roll is greater than that model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. And then the other one is Unstoppable Nightmare. Until the end of the following combat phase, the first time a friendly Avangora unit within six inches of this unit is destroyed, this unit can fight immediately after the last slain model in the destroyed unit is removed from play. Wow. That's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Command traits. Mm Mm-hmm. I pick Monstrous Might. Okay. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target friendly Avangori models wholly within 12 inches of this general. I agree. Okay. Yeah. That's, right. We talk about it all the time. Minus one to wound is one of the most valuable things that you can hand out to an enemy unit because plus one to wounds are so rare. Yes. Just throughout. And then... For artifacts, I pick Gorvar's Collar. These are rough because they're all once per battle. Yeah, that makes it tough. So I pick Gorvar's Collar. Once per battle at the start of the combat phase, you can say that the bearer will don the collar. If you do so, the strike first effect applies to the bearer until the end of that phase. Cool. Especially for a monster to be able to get first strike. Yeah. Very valuable. You can use it as kind of a back-breaking term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably the one to take. The other one is once per battle impact hits, and the other one is once per battle do mortal wounds on a two-up, which... (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't love their artifacts, but I like their traits. I like the monstrous actions. I like Mm -hmm. what you you get to do with the monsters, and they make Terror Geist and Zombie Dragons battle line, which is pretty neat. All right, so that's it for enhancements and legions all at once. Over to units. Yep, yep. Units. And again, just a heads up that some of these units we are going to be talking about are Cursed City, so you'll have to look for them in specific places uh, if you are interested in them. Yep. So our first unit should be Virkos Bloodborne. Yep. Uh, they are a unit of three, 10 inch move, six up save, bravery 10, three wounds. Mm-hmm. We have the piercing blade, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. They are elites. They have shadow fast. Wait a minute. Um, the profile, it sounds very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> They're almost like tiny heroes. Um, so after deployment, but before the first battle round begins, you can move this unit up to 10 inches. If both players can move units uh, before the first battle round, roll off and the winner chooses who moves there first. You mentioned this during the tournament. Yep. Would have been helpful for somebody to use that. Yep. Well, they did use it, but they didn't use it aggressively Right. Enough. Okay. Um, if vampiric agility, uh, when they move, they can pass across terrain features in the same manner as fly. Sure. And they have the hunger. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Makes sense. All right. Then we have the Vargskir. Vargskir murder bat. <laughs> He's a really cool model. Uh, eight inch move, eight wounds, five up save, ten bravery. Has talons, two inch range, four attacks, and you know the rest. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like a vampire sword. Uh, gaping Maw, one inch, D3 attacks, three by twos, minus two, two damage. Has bounding leaps. You can attempt to charge with this unit if it's within 18 of an enemy unit instead of 12. Roll 3D6. 
when making the charge roll. And then it has the hunger. Cool. All right. You have the Kasargi Night Guard. Cool. Eight-inch move, four-up save, ten bravery, four wounds. They have their Bardish, two-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, Ren one, damage two. <laughs> uh, they have a five-up ward, and they have a rule called a Pact Maintained. You had one of the attacks characters of this unit's Bardish while it's wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Radikar the Wolf or Radikar the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're neat. I, mm-hmm. um, you get, you get two of them. It's eight wounds with a four up, five up save. Yeah. Not and terrible. Yeah. They're, they're not terrible. They do an okay amount of damage, right? You know, if you have a Radicar, um, the Radicar, the wolf, he mm-hmm. has the, he has the pass off, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is just kind of neat. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun and kind of story driven to me this unit yeah i don't know that there'll be any real practical application but it's neat if you take those specific characters i'm trying to see how many points they are they're they're 90 points for two yeah um eight wounds with a not bad no the i wish if they were summonable oh boy um you (laughs) could so great yeah so before they added summonable to the the virkos uh heroic action you could add D three night guard. <laughs> Would just can you imagine having like six or eight of these guys running around? That'd oh be my hilarious. goodness! Like it'd be it'd, it'd be legitimately good. <laughs> Tough to beat. Mm. That's funny. All right. Now, yeah. Next there are a lot up, Dan, less. We have the guy to actually turn pages to find because it's all units. mixed up together. Yeah, it really is. You need to talk about Blood Knights. Okay, I need to talk about Blood Knights. Yeah. 10-inch uh, move, 3-up save, bravery 10, 3 wounds. They're battle line in Castelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Lanches or Templar Blades, which are the same profile. 2-inch uh, range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 1. Oh, okay, so they flip the Ren and the damage. There you wow. Go. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, the horses, hooves and, te- hooves and teeth, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 4s, no Ren, damage 1. Uh, champion adds one of the attacks characteristic. One in five can be the standard bearer. You get to re-roll your board rolls of one for your Deathless Minions battle traits. Great. They have the Hunger. They have Riders of Ruin. Models in this unit can pass across other models with a wounds characteristic of three or less in the same manner as a model that can fly. After this unit has moved, and they FAQ'd it to be move, retreats, runs, not pylons, roll a dice for each enemy unit that has any models it passed across. On a two-up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Great. And they have Martial Fury. Add one of the damage characteristics of the unit's melee weapons. If this unit made a charge move in the same turn, this ability has no effect on attacks made by the unit's mounts. So when they charge, there are three attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage 2. Mm-hmm. If you manage to kill a hero, your base damage 2, you go up to damage 3. Mm-hmm. If you kill a unit with wounds characteristics of 3 or more that's not a monster or hero you go to four attacks a piece and you know that's pretty good it's compelling that's for mm-hmm. sure obviously they're vampires so this isn't one of those summonable units they're 230 points for the five so you're gonna pay some points for it but yeah but you know if they've got something like the hunger which they do mm-hmm. and they even do some damage to something they could get models back you know they could get well, you can't get models no back. you can only get heal wounds correct yes. yep all right not quite not well, so fast. Wouldn't that be so nice? It would be nice. Just but... like, I think we should talk to somebody about adding summonable to those darn ogres, man. That... No, no, no. <laughs> so then we have Vargeis, the wonderful big bat guys. 12-inch move, 4 wounds, 5 up save, 10 bravery. The attack profile is 
incredibly familiar. <laughs> they fly, they had one to the attack characteristic for their champion. Blood Maddened Frenzy. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit is six, that attack scores two, so exploding sixes. They have the hunger, of course, and then death's descent. During deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side, say it is circling high above as a reserve unit. If you do so, at the end of your movement phase, you can set this unit up on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. I really like Vargeist. They're 155 points. They're battle line in Legion of Knights. You get three, correct? Get three of them. Yep. Yeah. I like them as a unit in Castellai as well. They benefit from the kill buffs as well. Yep. So getting them to four attacks that explode, getting them to damage three, that's huge. It's so important. They're relativistically inexpensive. I don't think you're going to run them outside of min size just because of the range one, but you can run a couple of them and feel pretty good about it. So. Okay. Next up is the Askergan True Blades. I really like this unit. Yeah, this is the Warcry Warband that Soulblight got. Mm-hmm. Six-inch move, four-up save, bravery 10, two wounds. Askergan weapons. Those are one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage one. Champion gets paired blades, which is four attacks at that same profile. Mm-hmm. And one in every eight is a curse blood. They have a wounds characteristic of four, and they have a different weapon profile the elongated claws and maw. Two inch range, five attacks, fours by threes, ren two, damage one. And both the champion and the curse blood are four wounds. Mm, yes, thank yep. you, yeah. Yep. You get eight models. Which There's, totals, when you think about that... It's that 20 totals, wounds. That's a lot of wounds. Yeah. With a four-up base save. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They get their five-up ward. You get the hunger. Mm-hmm. They have a gut-wrenching howl. At the end of the charge phase, this unit includes any curse bloods. You can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and save the curse blood. Unleash a gut-wrenching howl. If you do so, roll a dice. Add one of the roll for each curse blood in the unit. On a four-up, the strike last effect applies that enemy unit in the following combat phase. So on a three-up, essentially, mm-hmm. you're going to be getting... Wow, last strike on your enemy. Yes. Poof. Then they have Creed of the Beast. Subtract one from hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by enemy monsters that target this unit. In addition, each time an enemy monster unit is destroyed by attacks made by this unit, add three inches of this unit's move characteristic and add one to the weapons characteristic of this unit's melee weapons for the rest of the battle. So their base with the number of attacks and the weapons they have, they're 21 attacks mm-hmm. from this unit. That's going to go up to... A lot. If you kill a monster. I don't know. For 180 points for 20 wounds like this, I think they might be useful for... Obviously, you're going to have to find a purpose for them. Sure. And the appropriate target. But I think they're very interesting. I think this is another unit that's pretty fun in uh, Castellai, right? You kill a monster, you already you get plus one attack for this. You get plus three to your, your move characteristic. You also get plus one damage, which is going to turn this unit into a murder machine oh. all of a sudden. That's pretty cool. This unit is also really good in uh, Legion of Knights as a counter charge unit. This is a unit that works really well to counter charge in. You try and trigger the strikes last, then you get to do your fighting. Very cool. All right. Mortis Engine. Yeah. You said this was... I think Mortis Engines have play, Dan. Okay. And then make a case, man. All right. So Mortis Engine is the third way to build that one kit that is otherwise the Bloodseeker, Palanquin, or the Coven Throne. Yeah. And the Mortis Engine comes in at 230 points, which is a a steep asking price to begin with. Movement 14 down to 8. Four up save. Bravery 10. 12 wounds. The Necromancer on it has the Mortis Staff. One range, two attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage two. And then they have the Spectral Claws and Blade, 12 attacks down to six, fours by fours, no rend damage one. 
They have the Reliquary. Each time a friendly Soulblight Gravelord Wizard successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, unbinds a spell, or dispels an endless spell, place one counter beside this unit to a maximum of six. Once per battle in your hero phase, you can say that this unit will unleash the energies of the Reliquary. If you do so, each enemy unit within six inches of this unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the number of Reliquary counters beside this unit. Six mortal wounds once per game. Yeah. Essentially is what's... In an area. Yeah. That's it, it, pretty good. Area. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Wail of the Damned. In your shooting phase, you roll a dice for each enemy unit within range. 16 down to 10. For each 4-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Okay. Not bad. And then Nexus of Death Energies. Each time you pick a friendly uh, Soulblight Gravelord's summonable unit, holy within 12 inches of this unit using the Deathly Invocation battle trait, you can either heal up to D3 plus 3 wounds allocated to that unit instead of 3, or if no wounds have been allocated to that unit, you can mm-hmm. return a number of slain models that have a combined wound characteristic of 3 or less. Okay. And it's just me thinking out loud here is that it'd be interesting to combine them with Nefrata and have her make this model ethereal. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really fun. Just throwing this thing in and forcing people to try to kill it. This is a kind of hold it back enough, right? So the 16-inch range is going to be able to stretch out in front of your lines. Okay. In the, the, in the whale phase to do okay. that damage. Exactly. Okay. You keep it back to be the recursion piece. But you're going to keep it with your line. You're not going to keep it all the way, all the way back. And then at the end, you toss it in with the Reliquary late in the game to blow up things off of units and, you know, basically the killing blow. So keep it within enough range to get the whale off. Mm -hmm. And then commit it. But you got to commit it it basically a turn earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to use it to free a unit up that's in combat somewhere. Sure. Because six mortal wounds in a six-inch bubble off of a a bigger chariot base. Oh, it's a big bubble. Alrighty. Now we have the zombie dragon. Cuddly zombie dragon. Alright. It is fourteen down to eight move. Fourteen wounds, four up save, ten bravery, has pestilential breath, twelve inch range, D6, three by three, minus one, three damage. It has terror, which is inspiring presence cannot be issued while a unit is within three inches of this zombie dragon. And then you have loathsome descent. Oh, the other Profiles. We have Snapping Maw, which is three attacks, four by threes, three rend, three damage, and then Sword Like Claws, which is two inch range, seven down to four attacks, four by threes minus one and two damage. So during deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it's circling high above as a reserve unit. If you do so at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. That would be horrific. That would be a scary sight. It's a nice tool in your toolbox. I think the big value is the terror rule. Oh, yeah. Turning off inspiring presence is big. Sure. Terrorgeist, not much has changed here, if anything. 14-inch move down to 8. 4-up save, bravery 10, 14 wounds. Has the death shriek, which is range 10 inches. Mm-hmm. Pick your enemy unit. You roll a dice. You add your death shriek, which is plus 6 down to plus 3. For the delta between that roll and the modifier, subtracting your opponent's bravery, that's how many mortal wounds they take. You have the Fang Maw, 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 2, damage D6. Unmodified hit rolls of 6 with the Fang Maw. The enemy suffers 6 mortal wounds, and the attack sequence ends. That's why everybody who plays this is fishing for those 6s. Fishing for 6s. Yeah. Skeletal Talons, 3-inch range, 7 attacks down to 4. 4s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. And then it's infested when it's destroyed. Each enemy unit within 3 inches of this unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Cool. Both right. of those are battle line in Avangori. I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> now let's talk about these Black Knights, man. This is fun. Finally, these guys 
there might be people who will buy these models, right? They I got just, 20 of them. They, Hold on. But yeah. I mean, nobody plays them is my uh, point. That's, that's the thing. All right. So we have Black Knight's 12-inch move, two wounds, five up save, 10 bravery. We have a Barrel Lance, which is... Two inch range, two attacks, four by threes. No, neither one of these have rend. One damage, and then the horse is two attacks, four by fours, one damage. Which doesn't sound very impressive because it's not. However, we can add one attack for the champion, the standard bearer. You get to one in every five can be a standard bearer. You get to reroll ward rolls of one, which is great. The musician, you treat a charge roll of less than six as six. That's huge. If you have a horn blower, now this is the one. Deathly Charge. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch. You roll two dice. Yes, Brendan, I got it. Two dice. Two dice. Because we listeners had a previous conversation again when we were out to lunch, and yeah, Dan thought like, it was only I one dice. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, you said this unit's really good. Like, I mean, it's fine. And all of a sudden, I was like, Dan, you missed the number there. Yeah, <laughs> you have to add one to that number to make a two. So you roll two dice for each model in this unit. For each five up, the target suffers one mortal wound. But wait, Brendan, there's a white king on a skeletal steed. Mm -hmm. And if he's within range of this unit, doesn't that go to four up? It does go to four up. So if you have a unit of 10 of these, for example, that are rolling 20 dice, you have a reliable chance to do 10 mortal wounds worth of impact damage on the charge. Yep. Shoosh, man. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Two units of 10 is going to set you back 440 points. Mm-hmm. And the uh, White King on Horse is another 160. So for 600 points, you can have these units that are designed to just break screens, hit units, do mortal wounds, pull them off the table. Boof. Almost everything is going to have a hard time putting up with 20 mortal wounds. On average, you're going to kill Kragnos if you hit him with both of these units. Sure. That's a pretty good trade. Yeah, no kidding. Certainly worth considering now in almost any uh, legion. And even taking them as fives Mm -hmm. is good because they are summonable. So when you get them back, you're going to get three back. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have odd numbers, you're going to get a good return on your investment. Mm -hmm. This is a great unit to get late at that movement 12. Because even if you're not able to position it in the place you need it exactly with your grave sites or from a hero, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to move them into position. Okay. And they are summonable. So they are summonable. They get all the bring back buffs. They do. All right. Next up is Graveguard, who are battle line if White King is your general. Four inch move, five up save, bravery 10, one wound apiece. Uh, They are either armed with a white blade and shield or a great white blade. The white blade is one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. Great white blade is two inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. If you have a shield, your base save goes to a four up instead of a five. Great. Champion adds one of the attacks characteristic. The banner lets you reroll ward rolls of one. Hornblower lets you treat charge rolls of less than six as six. Unmodified wound rolls of six made with melee weapons this unit cause one mortal wound in addition. Okay. They're your very classic hammer, right? They're summonable. Sure. They benefit massively from the White King sixes to hit explode. They benefit massively from the Vampire Lord plus one attack. Mm. 140 points for 10 is good, but Mm. that's a unit that you're going to invest in heavily to be an offensive piece. Okay. 
and make sure you get those buffs. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to spend that tax to get that off. Yep. Okay. Even then, right, it's 280 points for 20 of them. Oh, yeah. You know, a White King on foot isn't very expensive, and right. a Vampire Lord isn't terribly expensive nope. either. No, neither one. You're going to be able to potentially have two of these units of 20 <laughs> and still have all the screens that you're hoping for and the big expensive heroes and things like that and feel like you're able to do the things you wanted to do. No, one of the things I wanted to go back to Black Knights, you know, so if you have a unit of 10, people are thinking, oh, well, you know, you have to have coherency so you can only have one rank and stuff. Well, that doesn't matter with the charge. Doesn't it's just the, the number of models. It's kind of like with... Scarlet Doom, you know, in yep. Night Haunt, it doesn't matter how many you're in contact. If one is in contact, the whole unit gets to roll dice. So that makes it easier for that one White King to have everybody within distance. All right, Brendan, well, this is a unit that you... I'm very familiar with. Yes. <laughs> Crazy. Zombies. Four-inch move, six-up save, bravery 10, one wound. You get them in units of 20 for 115 points. Mm. Their just... combat profile is one-inch range, two attacks, fives by fours, no rend damage one. You roll a dice each time a model in this unit is slain by an attack made with a melee weapon. On a five-up, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound. Sounds like crematoria, kind this of. This is so dumb. <laughs> I mean, um, isn't it? It's similar. It's the same. Okay. Uh, the difference is, is this is not range limited. Crematorians mm. is when you remove the model within three inches of. Oh my gosh! This is any time you are killed by a melee weapon by a melee attack. So it could be like twenty models. You would be rolling twenty dice and five ups would give mortals back. Yep, doesn't matter where I pulled that model up from. I get to roll the dice for it. Wow! This yielded a very funny interaction between the bloodthirster that has the explosion mm -hmm. the way that that ability is worded is the attack is doing the damage that means that the models that are within eight inches of that bloodthirster are being slain by an attack those models that died from the explosion count towards dice that i roll oh. at the bloodthirster Ooh. which is silly so this is probably one of the most broken rules in the game okay this needs to be changed to range limited and it becomes a much more palatable war scroll but right now when you field 260 right if you take down a unit of 40 you can expect reasonably to take 13 mortal wounds back mm -hmm. that is doom for mm -hmm. many combat units sure i mean that's most of a unit of pigs. Cool. Mm -hmm. I'll take every day 230 zombies, or sorry, 230 points of zombies that I'm going to get back at half strength for almost a full unit of pigs. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of that exchange rate. Sure. Or I'm going to get a Maw Crusher, or most of one. Mm -hmm. I'll take that too. I'll take that. And that's not their only rule, though. No. They also have the newly dead. At the end of the combat phase, you can roll a dice for each enemy model that was slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks in that phase. That does not count explosions, just attacks, just the mm -hmm. two attacks, five by four. For each two up, you can add one dead walker zombie model to the unit. Okay. The fact that you can get 20 for 115 points and for them to basically be worth, you know, five ups, right? Or your mortal wounds, six yeah. mortal wounds. That's pretty good. Yeah. Change it to range limited. Up their points a little bit. And they'll be good. Yeah. They'll still be good. They'll still be good. Yeah. And the thing that people will basically switch over to right away is the next unit, which is Dire Wolves. Yes. Dire Wolves, 10-inch move, 2 wounds, 5-up save, 10 bravery. Has rotting fangs and claws, 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4x4s. No rend, 1 damage, just like most horses and mounts. 1 in every 10 is a Doom Wolf. You get 1 to your attack characteristic added. This unit is eligible to fight in the combat phase if it's within 6 of an enemy unit. Instead of 3, it can move an extra 3 when it piles in. 
for 135 points for 20 wounds, moving 10, recurring, because you get five back, yep. a unit of 10. Sounds like a pretty reliable and decent way to spend some points, man. Yeah, the parking lot's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. The, having the six-inch pylon on the scroll now is good. Mm-hmm. That is a tough one that for people to contend with. It's important to remember, though, that when you summon them back, they cannot pile in, mm-hmm. as tempting as that may be. Okay, sure. And then we have... Our friends, the Felbats. Yep. Felbats, Battle Line, and Legion of Knights. Felbat meta incoming. 14 inch move, 6 <laughs> sure. up save, bravery 10, 3 wounds. Do you really think that? Nick and I wrote a pretty gross list that includes some Felbats. Okay. A lot Let's of Felbats. Okay. 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 2. They fly, they have the hunger, which is kind of neat. They're summonable. Mm hmm. They have single-minded ferocity. This unit can retreat and still charge later in the turn. In addition, at the end of any phase, if any enemy models were slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks in that phase, add one to the attacks characters that are elongated veins for the rest of the battle. Okay, so wait a minute. They come in units of three, right? Yep. And they can be battle line. Yep. So was your list with Nick just a potload of three? Yeah. Really? Yep. And then, of course, when they take out a single model, they now have four attacks. Yep. So And then the next time you kill something, then they have five attacks, and they have six attacks, and then they have seven attacks, then they have eight attacks. You can technically get higher than eight, but you have to have a necromancer to cast the fight in the combat phase, mm-hmm. or fight in the hero phase spell. Sure. You can, at best, get plus ten attacks to a unit, <laughs> It's but that means attacks. you've casted the necromancer spell every hero phase, they've fought every hero yeah. phase, they've killed something every hero phase, they fought every combat phase, they've killed something every combat phase. Right. Actually, okay. you could do plus 15 attacks. Ooh, man. Yeah. Crazed. Okay. Yeah, so you could have 18 attack fell bats, fours and fours, no rend damage too, but... <laughs> That's a pipe dream. Next up is the corpse cart. Mm-hmm. Four-inch move, six-up save, bravery 10, six wounds. You have to choose between the goad or the lash. The goad is two-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. The lash is one-inch range, three attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. They have the rusty blades, one-inch range, 2d6 attacks, fives by fives, no rend damage one. You have to pick between a lodestone or a baleful brazier. Mm-hmm. If you... Take the Lodestone. You add one to casting rolls for friendly Soulbite Gravelord's Wizards, wholly within 12 inches. Mm-hmm. If you take the other one, it's minus one to casting rolls for enemy Wizards within 12 inches. You take the Lodestone. Yep. That's what you do. Absolutely. Really good in Legion of Blood so that your Wizards are plus two to cast. Yeah. When they're empowered. Then they have the Locus of Undeath. Unmodified wound rolls for attacks made by friendly zombie units, wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability is a six that attack scores one mortal wound in addition to any damage it inflicts. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you want more zombies? Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not a bad deal for 70 points, too. Yeah, they're Cheap. steel. Granted, they're six wounds, but yes. All right. So the last true unit. Skellies. The skeletons, which are incredible when they are taken as a 30 brick. We got four inch move, one wound, five up save, 10 bravery. We have their ancient weapons, one attack, four by threes, no rend, one damage. The champion adds one to the attacks. The standard bearer allows you to reroll ward rolls of one. At the start of the combat phase, roll a die for each slain model of the combat phase, yours or theirs. Yep. On a four up, you can return one slain model to this unit. Ooh. Improve the rend characteristic of this unit's melee weapons by one if the number of models in this unit is greater than the number of models in the target unit. Well, if you have a brick of 30, that's pretty reliable. Yeah. The fact that this triggers at the start of the combat phase and it's just for slain models from the unit is huge. It doesn't matter what phase you killed them in. At the start of the combat phase, I get to roll a number of 
dice equal to the number of models that I'm missing. So if you kill 20 of my guys, mm -hmm. I can roll 20 dice and get you 10 back reliable. Yep. Yep. And then you got to kill those 20. And if you only kill 15 of those and get some back, yep. I get to roll 25 dice. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, right? And mm -hmm. then you're going to be healing. You're going to bring, bring models back. Mm -hmm. Their offensive firepower is fine, you know, with the one attack, fours and threes. Again, Vampire Lord gives you plus one attack. The White King gives you sixes explode. That combination of things, very good. They're 85 points for 10. A 30 brick is excellent. Okay. Granted, it's going to eat two of your reinforcement points, but that is a very difficult to deal with units. Okay. So normally we don't talk about the Underworld's Warband. No. I'm going to make it a point where we talk about the Sons of Elmorn here real yes, quick. Yes, let's uh, do that. Because they are relevant in a competitive setting. Mm -hmm. King Morlack is whatever. He's basically just like a special white king for the Sons of Elmorn. But the Sons of Elmorn specifically have a series of abilities. The first one is Shields Up. Once per turn at the start of the combat phase, you can say it will form a shield wall. If you do so, this unit has a save characteristic of a 3-up instead <laughs> of a 4-up, but you can't yeah. pile in. Right. That's pretty cool. Then they have a Canny Strike, which is also at the start of the combat phase. You can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice, and on two up, that unit cannot make pile and move that phase. Oh, it's like Tree Lord. Yeah. But in skeleton form. <laughs> Other than that, they're basically Graveguard. And um, you've got ten wounds here because their leader... Is four. Is yep. four, so that's ten wounds because you get four models. Plus you have to take King Morlack. There's another fifth, that's 15, mm -hmm. yep. So for 220 points, you basically get a hero and an entourage kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You basically get a special unit of Graveguard. Both of these are summonable, so you can bring them back. Having that really interesting tech piece to shut off pylons is enormous. Mm -hmm. They're really good. Okay. The other Underworld Warbands are whatever. Sure. These are units that you should at least consider in a list. Okay. So, Dan, over to strategies and tactics. Yeah. For grand strategies, I'm gonna talk about the one that is super dumb and totally out of bounds. <laughs> Empire of Corpses, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you replace three or more friendly summonable units that were destroyed during the battle. Check. Right? <laughs> I had some Soulblight players say, what are you doing taking Empire of Corpses? If you get unlucky, you're not gonna get your tactic. And I said, you're out of your mind. Gorslav exists. Sure. Because he is returning slain summonable units that were destroyed during the battle. As long as, and you know, I'm taking zombies and he can return zombies. As long as you killed three of my units before battle round three, or, you know, somewhere between, you know, three, four, and five. If you've killed one unit before three and you kill a unit every turn after, I am guaranteed to get this grand strategy. Sure. Because in order to get to Gorslav, you have to fight through 220 zombies because I leave two units of 20 nearby, and he's going to... Well, and there are other ways, Brendan. You, you've got Gorslav, who's incredibly reliable for bringing back, but you've got other recursion mechanisms in this army. Right, you're going to make the roll for yeah. it. Yeah. So if somebody kills Gorslav when he's only brought two back, you've got other ways to bring things back to yeah. get this three. You're going to roll four ups in your opponent's turn, three ups in your turn. If you roll none of those, that's tough luck. Yeah. But, but that's why, you know, you take the insurance policy and you right. lock it in and you're good. Absolutely. Then we have Lust for Domination. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If you control more grave sites than your opponent, control of grave sites is determined the same way as control of objectives. I don't like that one. It's just too, depending on how the game goes, yeah. somebody can just jump on one of those and it could be two and two pretty easily, mm -hmm. depending on how the battlefield is. So that one is not reliable. And you want grand strategies that are relatively reliable. Yeah. 
at that point, you might as well take, you know, like take what's theirs or something else. Right. Where... We have a little more control of that. Too. Exactly. Yep. Another one that I really don't like, the Crimson Larder. When the battle mm-hmm. ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are no heroes from your opponent's starting army on the battlefield, <laughs> and the only friendly heroes on the battlefield are vampires. Like, it's so limiting. Yes. That's what's incredible about that. I mean, some of the things we've talked about that you really, they're not auto takes, but they're you really need to seriously consider them aren't vampires. Right. And so, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. The Dance Macabre is the last one when the battle ends. You complete this grand strategy if there are more friendly summonable units than enemy units wholly within enemy territory. This is doable. Yeah. But I don't know why you would take this one over Empire of Corpses. Absolutely. Let's talk about tactics now, which are... These are so dumb. (laughs) Yeah, so first one right off the bat, Callus Overlord... Pick one friendly summonable unit more than three inches from all enemy units. You complete this tactic if that friendly unit is destroyed during this turn. Yeah. I'm going to take my three zombies, and I'm going to throw them at you. And you have to attack them. It's yeah. not a game where you can choose not to attack not something. Not anymore. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so Then we have Cursed Unlife. You complete this tactic if any wounds allocated to your general or to two other friendly vampire units are healed using the hunger ability during this turn. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vampire Lord kills something. Kills a model. Boom. <laughs> now, you have to be injured in order for this right. to work, but you got to kill a model. You don't even have to kill a model. You have to do a wound, yeah. and you mm-hmm. heal your wound, and you're good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> even Belladama, right? Four attacks, threes by threes, rend one damage, two. In the right target, I feel pretty all right about yeah. that. And then, you know, or six wolf attacks, but... The Grasping Dead, pick one friendly summonable unit within three inches of any enemy units. You complete this tactic if that unit is within three inches of any enemy units at the end of this turn. Great. Okay. <laughs> Skeletons, man. Yeah. Zombies, right. man. Yeah. They're in combat with a unit that's not going to kill them. I'm not going to kill you. You're not going to kill me. Here yep. we are. Yep. There you go. All right. Choices Vintage. Pick one enemy hero on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if that enemy hero is slain during this turn by an attack made by a friendly vampire hero. I think that's the toughest one out of all of these. Yeah. I mean, it's very situational Mm -hmm. based on how many heroes, where they are on the board, how resilient they are. Expand the Grave Empires. You complete this tactic (laughs) if you control two or more objectives wholly outside your territory. And each of these objectives is contested by a friendly summonable vampire or vampire unit. Right? This is mission dependent. There are some missions where this isn't possible. In the missions where it is possible, it's basically an automatic battle tactic. And then this next one, Endless Nightmare. Pick one friendly Soulblight Grey Lord summonable unit on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if six or more slain models are returned to that unit during this turn. Okay. With skeletons, this is a great one. Mm-hmm. The other thing it's important to remember that battle tactics are selected at the start of the hero phase. Mm. You get to rally first. So rally also occurs at the start of the hero phase. If this is something you're thinking about, rally first. If you get three and you're not you know, near a gravesite, automatic. If you get two and you're near a gravesite, automatic. <laughs> you know, there was a, a point where my round five, we were talking about battle tactics, and I said, hey, do you have one that's automatic? And you know, he was talking about his. He goes, okay, well, what about you? I said, endless nightmare. He goes, mm. what? I said, I got five models left in this unit. This was a 40. Oh. I'm going to roll 35 dice. I said, I'm looking for three sixes. <laughs> and then I'm going to heal three wounds. And he mm-hmm. goes, okay, yeah, automatic. You got that one. Gosh, this one's so silly. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many ways to set this up where this is a piece of cake. 
so often we talk about battle tactics where you have to like have a specific kind of unit or oh, yeah. or like you know like they have six achievable tactics but the way that that army gets built you're like this army would make no sense you know it wouldn't be synergistic it wouldn't accomplish anything these if you build this army a normal way these are great right one of the weaknesses of castelli is they're not going to have a ton of summonable stuff which is where you know the strength of the battle tactics typically lies right you know, three of these are clearly have to be summonable. Mm-hmm. One of these is summonable or vampire, and two of them are vampire, one of which is a vampire hero. Mm-hmm. The strength in this book is in the summonable units and being able to take a zillion of them mm-hmm. and filling the board. And this is why the 260 zombie list works so well, is you basically flood the board with bodies, you give your opponent no targets, and it doesn't matter what they do. Because the zombies are just going to die and kill your stuff back. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the game. Yeah. Under more conventional settings, you are still going to flood the board with a bunch of cheap bodies. Your more normal lists are going to include some useful units. Vampire Lords on Zombie Dragons, Black Knights, Blood Knights, Grave Guard. You know, units that do damage inherently. Sure. Uh, as opposed to right. units that are just there to mathematically do damage back to you. You're going to flood the board up, you're going to pick your spots, you're going to grind your opponent down and win the game. You should be getting your battle tactics, and if you're playing Virkos, which right now is the best way to do this, mm-hmm. you should be getting your Empire of Corpses. That should be a no problem. Yes. Even if you go outside the book, take what's theirs is kind of a no-brainer as well, because you're going to be able to shoehorn in a zillion units into enemy territory. Mm, yeah. This is a book that can really do some oppressive stuff. I mean, just wall-to-wall bangers in terms of, like, the individual war scrolls aren't incredible, but when you do the math of putting it all together, mm. the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts. Okay. And that's the magic of Soulblight Gravelords. Okay. You know, you have these heroes that tool up your army, you drown your opponent in bodies, and you know you find your way to victory. Okay. So, any thoughts from you, Dan? I know I kind of jumped to closing thoughts no, that's, early. No, that's fine. I, there are just so many ideas kind of swirling around in my head. You know, I'm happy to see that wolves are still very playable and very usable. Great unit. I'm happy to see, as I've said before, that the heroic actions are in this book specific to Soulblight Gravelords. I love that. You know, mix and match kind of utility of this book is just consistent. I think we've seen that again and again and again, and it's wonderful that that's what we're seeing as these books get reissued for you know, most factions. And it makes me wish I had sold all my vampire stuff, man. <laughs> Just like, well, this, this happens to you every episode that we do. <laughs> we read the book and you have Dave Witek <laughs> syndrome is what you have. <laughs> we read the book. You go, wow, this is super cool. I want to play this. Yeah, of course. Listeners, I guarantee you, we're going to read the Seraphon book and Dan's going to go, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> I wish I had a Seraphon army. <laughs> you know, that set your watches. <laughs> It's going to be right about this time in the show when Dan's going to say the same thing. It, uh, guys, it's why Dan has the two army limit. Yeah. Otherwise, his place would look like mine. Yes. <laughs> it's a good thing, actually. Yeah. I'm thrilled for Soulbite players. And I think, you know, one of the things I would definitely consider is something for a thousand point event like Dawnbringer. Wasn't that a thousand points? 
Yeah. The one-day things. I mean, that would be really fun to take a bunch of wolves in Radicar, a bunch of wolves in Belladam or something, just to have fun with it. Or whatever you want to take. Tunis the 30 skeletons and, you know, whatever else. All that kind of stuff is really cool, too. If you're just talking about a thousand-point army, there's a lot of really fun stuff in here as well. And that's Dan talking to himself. Sure. Way, just now. <laughs> Brenda's going, yeah, that's uh-huh. kind of what that yeah. is. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff, man. Good book. Success, I think. A couple of tweaks, minor tweaks, really, that need to be made points-wise and otherwise. But great stuff, man. Vampers forever. That's Soul White Grave Lords. It is. And with that, as always, we will move on to talk about books and stuff. We will. Etc. 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 Scriptorium time. For new releases, there really isn't much of anything. There's the stuff we've talked about before. There's a couple of Mortal Realms books. There's a couple of collections for 40K and things like that, some retro stuff, but really is nothing significant right now. I'm assuming once Leviathan comes out, there might be a little bit of a hit on some new stuff for 40K, 41K, whatever you call it. Uh, But right now we're kind of sitting, just waiting for stuff. How about you? I started watching a show on HBO uh, now called Max. Right? Yeah, the, HBO Max, right. Called The Plumbers. It's about oh. the Watergate scandal. Yes. And yes. relevant because I had listened to the Woodward and Bernstein, All the President's Men. Yes. It's funny to see those characters played out an episode and a half in. It's been pretty good. You know, they're like an hour long. They've got some good comedy to it. You know, they do a very measured portrayal to convey what brand of idiots these people were. Sure, yeah. Because... That's what they were? Yes. They were far from professionals. (laughs) They do a really good job conveying that these were uh, deeply unserious men. So Doing something that was very serious. Yeah. It's it's very strange how that all worked out. That's the way the world turns. (laughs) Isn't it? Anything else? That's really the only new thing that I've had my hands in. I've been just more and more Dead Tree books. I've been so happy to turn the pages, man. So neat. So I finished Land of Dreams. So I did finish the clan founding trilogy i think i'm gonna stop for now the third book was a lot of exposition a lot of description there wasn't a whole lot of action at all if anybody's interested in you know mech warrior stuff there's like a hundred novels that have been written i know 95 or 100 novels so it was okay it was a decent end it was i would give it a three maybe out of five Mm -hmm. And then I finished Book of Charlie. Oh my gosh, Brendan. Such a marvelous read. It's short. It is just full of wisdom and fun stories. And of course, you know, Charlie lived 109 years. There was some tragedy, some pretty serious tragedy in his life. So as you can imagine, in any life. But there were a couple of anecdotal stories. Again, I want to share with the listeners because I just highly encourage you probably to read it because it might take you a lot less time than to listen to it, right? But one of the stories was at that time... This is like in the late 20s, 1920s, early 1930s during the Depression. One of the things that most high school students did when they graduated was they took a trip somewhere, either a train trip or they went on a camping trip with their families or something. So Charlie, who was 16 at the time, he graduated early from high school and two of his 18-year-old friends decided they were going to drive to Los Angeles. They were in Kansas City at the time. Oh, wow. And they were going to do that in a Model T of course, because his one friend was a little wealthier. That sounds pretty cool until you understand that literally... like roads were not... (laughs) There were no bridges over rivers, Brendan, at that time except where there were railroads. The roads were basically the pioneer and wagon train trails. Charlie and his friends had this guidebook and it was just ludicrous when he would 
tell about it. Like this one section said, go 20 miles until you come to a tree stump next to a red brick building and then take the right fork. (laughs) Really? So they just made this trip. They were doing things like when it rained, they'd sleep under the car instead of, you know, under the stars. There was a pass that they had to go over. They decided not to go through the Sierra Nevadas. They wanted to go through New Mexico and Arizona. They literally had to push the car over the pass because the car wouldn't get there with three people. Anyway, that was just fascinating. And then it was fascinating to hear the story of one of his friends and he getting back because the third friend, the wealthy one, his mother came out on a train and took him back on a train. They oh. sold the car, you know. The other story that's just so such a wonderful little story was Charlie was a doctor and eventually became an anesthesiologist. And he was talking about during the Depression, hardly anyone had money to go to the hospital to deliver babies. Families were doing this at home, so the infant mortality rate was very incredible, high. Yeah. Right? So he got a call to go to a home and deliver a baby. Well, it was very apparent right away this baby was very premature. And when the baby was delivered, it was two pounds, Brendan. Think about that. So Charlie knew that if he took it back to the hospital, essentially it would put it under a heating lamp and just let nature take its course, which means the baby would die. So instead, Charlie had them get a shoebox. He stuffed it full of cotton. He got one of their lamps and he fed the baby milk with an eyedropper. Five years later, he took her tonsils out. But that was medicine during that time. And again, he talks a lot about how things changed, obviously, and, you know, the advent of antibiotics and more complex anesthesiology devices. Like he was using ether, basically, yeah. you know, at the time. Wonderful little stories like that throughout the whole book. And anyway... Just highly, highly recommend it to people. I have started the Matthias Thulman trilogy, which is always a joy to read old world books, especially with characters you really, really enjoy. I finished Blightslayer. God, the, these Gotrek books are just fantastic. It's so Gotrek. The voicing is perfect. He has a new buddy named Amara. She's like a disaffected Stormcast, and they're fighting Nurgle, which was really cool. And the voicing for the Nurgle like characters was just like this one general was like we have to <coughs> and he'd be coughing the whole time or just that well, sick just mucusy sure. and it was great wonderful story I recommend it if you're a GoTrek fan at all to check it out really good and then based on the character in the book we talked about just now the Cato character who was the Hollow King yeah there is a book called that and I decided to listen to it. I'm about a third of the way through. This is not your typical old world vampire story where, you know, the vampires have skeletons and zombies everywhere and they're conquering and they're doing this stuff. This is a guy who basically is looking for retribution. Very complicated. Yeah, it's it is not an action story. It is him searching for something. Very interesting. Again, he's a vampire. That's the other thing is he is a vampire once in a while, but it's more a story about his character. So so very good. I'm enjoying that. And then I watched a movie again. I don't know why I watched it. It just, it always brought me joy to watch this movie. It's by a anime director called Miyazaki. It's called Spirited Away. And if you have children, I think you would really love it. It's a fabulous watch with kids. The main character is 10 years old. Just the emotiveness of her expressions as she's experiencing all these different things during her adventures that are going on in this story. It's just so cool. And she's growing as a person. Even though she's 10 years old, she's making wise decisions when people around her are making really stupid decisions. For a younger person, this would be 
be a really neat story, I think. I would caution parents to take a look at like previews and stuff on YouTube because there could be, you know, anime can get some pretty disturbing monsters and things like that in there that may really upset younger, younger kids. But overall, just a wonderful story. And for adults too, great, great watch. And then a movie called Defiance, which is a World War II movie. It's a great story based on a book called Defiance, The Bilski Partisans. And it's about a Jew bunch of Jewish partisans fighting in Poland against the Germans. Very inspiring, very well acted, and so I would recommend that as well, Brendan. And that's it for me. A lot of stuff going on. All right, let us move on to this or that. It's that time to make a choice. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. Okay. So we'll start with our Warhammer questions <laughs> and course. work to the non-Warhammer. Sure. Neferata or Manfred? Neferata. Yeah. I think she's a neat, neat character, yes. Okay. Absolutely, I would take her first. If you had to build a list around a non-Vircos legion, which legion would you build around? Blood, now. Okay. Having looked through the book more and spent more time with it, and again, based on my last answer, I really think building something around Neferata, because as you pointed out, you can take really any unit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You get certain benefits, but I think I would build a legion of Bloodlust. Okay. What's your favorite summonable unit out of this book? Oh, it's wolves. Wolves? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Wolfies forever, man. <laughs> I thought after our discussion maybe Black Knights would take it, but... No. Okay. No. Now, in terms of building a list, you know, but you asked me for my favorite unit. Yeah, your favorite unit. Yeah. yeah. That's Dire Wolves, for Favorite sure. summonable unit, yeah. If you had a month to spend at a national park, what national park would you like to go to for a, a month? month. Yeah. A whole month. <sighs> Could be any month, but, you know... I don't know. I think it's one that we've talked about going to. I think it's Badlands in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. It'd be like the month of October or the month of April or something. You know, There's so many different things to see, so many geologies. There's so much wildlife that you know it's the Badlands. There's, not, there's a lot of stuff there. And the more I watch the video, the more I want to make that one of our trips <laughs> this year to go out there. But yeah, I think it would be Badlands. Yeah. Okay. Relative to the Plumber show that I'm watching, right? You know, it gives you a visual insight to a historical scandal. Sure. What historical scandal would you like to have laid witness to, basically as an invisible observer? And I'll leave the because that one I lived through. Right. That's why I can't really. I mean, you could, right? Like in the show, you basically get to follow E. Howard Hunt, and all we the were dumb laughing stuff. for real when I was growing yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> when we found out what was going on afterwards, I'm trying to think of when it was, but I know there was this huge financial scandal at the end of the 19th century, like in the 1880s or 1890s, because we always think about the depression and when yeah. the stock market collapsed. But there was another very serious economic collapse in the late 19th century and i know it all had to do with like the rail barons and some other people who were doing all this other foolishness of creating all these weird yeah, these fake economies and financial instruments yeah fake economies and i think it would be fascinating to be able to see that like from a safe place, you know, where you still could get food and you had money. Well, you're, you're an invisible observer, yeah. right? That's it, the that would have been fun to be able to walk into those places where those deals were being made, or where that corruption was being committed, and seeing how just horrific these people were, and how callous and soulless these people were to do this stuff for only profit. There was absolutely no other reason they were doing this except yeah. for the profit. There was no 
benefit to anyone else. So yeah, that would be something I think I would like. I just can't remember exactly when it happened, but those are my five. Okay, easy. Legion of Night or Legion of Blood, if you had to make a choice now? I think right out of the gate, Legion of Blood is probably the more competitive one. Hmm. I think the Legion of Night lists are very interesting, but I think I'd go Legion of Night because Blood to me feels very straightforward in terms of what those lists like look like and what you do. Okay, so you would pick for a competitive event, you'd pick Blood. I'd pick Blood. Okay. But if I was, you know, if you just asked me what I'd want to run, I'd prefer to run Night. Okay, got it. Would you prefer, now that you've done it, a two-day five-game team event or a three-day six-game team event? Well, that third game on that first day is going to be rough because they were four-hour rounds. You're talking about a minimum of a 14-hour day. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Big, big time. That's such a tough animal because that third day was brutal. Yeah. That third game is going to be brutal, though. Oh, and that second, and that first day. Yeah, Yeah. that first day is going to be rough. It's hard to make the choice. Yeah. I'd probably go keep it at the two days, because that third day, getting up and even going to the event was rough. Okay. That was a lot of Warhammer. You've already played a lot of Warhammer. You've already played a lot of Warhammer. You still have a fair bit of Warhammer to go. Okay. Now you're going to build a whole new list in Soulblight. 280 zombies. No. Well, maybe. So your choice now is... A massive list of skellies or a massive list of zombies? Let's assume there's some kind of a sea change in the... It doesn't matter right there. A massive list of uh, zombies beats a massive list of skeletons. Every day. Every day. 20 zombies versus the 10... And I know the points aren't the same. Right. But units of 10 skeletons don't really do anything. You have to go bigger on your units but of skeletons. But a unit of 20 zombies does a lot still. Exactly, yes. Okay. Zombies kill skeletons, zombie units get bigger, skeleton units aren't able to do a ton of damage. They mm. won't go very far, but yeah, I think the zombie unit okay. beats the skeleton unit. So the next question is the next handbook. You know, we've mm-hmm. had monster-centric handbook, then we had a... Battle line, quote-unquote. Yeah. And then we had this thing with the heroes, mm-hmm. you know. In the next book, would you rather see something that is focused on a unit type, whatever, or would you rather see something that was focused on some mechanic in the game, like magic or something else? I'd prefer the mechanic. I think the unit stuff is overplayed, and mm. we've seen that it, it doesn't balance very well. When it was monsters, we ended up with a battle scroll where you got extra points for killing all of these overpowered monsters with your under... You had... You went to the battle line. We got bounty hunters. That was terrible for the game. Yes. It was awful. Galatian Champions has been fine largely but everyone just takes tunnel master for the most part right you end up with a teleporting hero it ends up being very cookie cutter yeah yeah i think playing around with a mechanic i think is worthwhile the the unit stuff i don't think has worked very well okay and then the last thing is a 40k question okay you are going to start a 40k army let's just Mm -hmm. say in the new edition would you rather start a space marines army or a nid army probably space marines I've painted enough Horde armies in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> yeah. Give me those sweet, sweet elite armies if I'm oh, going to be man. playing 40k. Give me Custodes if I can take it even further. Like, give me an eight-model uh, army. Yes, please. Okay, so that's my five, bud. Moving on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. No Sunday announcements because, once again, it's Thursday. Thursday, yeah. 
Any Q&A for you? Not so much a Q&A, but just a lot of feedback I got at Kansas City Open mm. by all of my opponents, which is, are you pleased with yourself for what you've done here? <laughs> um, and my answer is no. I realistically wouldn't have taken that list if it wasn't uh. for the golden tickets being on the line. This is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of incentive structure. Yeah, I would have taken something good, but I don't know that I would have looked at it and said, yeah, we're going to take this really stupid thing here. Mm -hmm. It didn't give very fun games, which it's not designed to. Thankfully, my opponent said I was a good opponent and mm -hmm. that they hated the list, which I'm glad people can differentiate those two things. Sure. It's a garbage list to play against. It's a war scroll that's completely busted. Yeah. No, I'm not pleased with myself <laughs> with what I did there. But I still did it. Right. And I got my ticket. I'm able to separate those two things personally. Fair enough. So I had one question. It was okay. interesting, too. The question was from Alan. And Alan asked, Dan, if you had to choose between no more books or no more audiobooks, which would you choose? Oh, you would go now, no more audiobooks, yeah, I figure. This is tough. You from love one your paper books. Uh, the one thing that's difficult is I would miss audiobooks a lot, especially from you know, the perspective of having something to do at hobby or driving time. I yeah. love audiobooks for driving. But I couldn't tolerate a world, I don't think, without books. I really don't. Yeah, that's my answer, Alan. Fair enough. All right, next episode, bud. Seraphon lizards. Yep. A lot of lizards. Jungle lizards. Hopefully we get an Star FAQ lizards. before then, because, wow, there's some stuff in that book that they meant it to be that way. Yikes. Well, and you know what? One of the things when you say this, whenever you say this about a book that's so strong and stuff, I always take some comfort in the fact that as a mid-tier player, I'm rarely, if ever, going to have to play those kind of hobbies because they'll just jump to the top tables as I move to the middle, whatever that is, yeah, the so, fat middle. So preview, right now, there's a spell in the Seraphon book that, as written, allows you to teleport a unit into combat. That's just unacceptable. I, I agree. That's unacceptable. <laughs> I agree. Hopefully, and honestly, that's not the most egregious thing in the book. That's just nuts. That's not the worst thing that this book can yeah. do, which is so silly. Hopefully we get an FAQ when we're okay. talking about this, because that, I think, will change the context of the conversation. Granted, I say all that, having just talked about Soulblight, which is a book that I will tell you right now is pretty busted. Mm -hmm. It's really just a couple of units that are causing it to be an offender when paired with its battle tactics. Okay. Seraphon, mm -hmm. though, their problem is is they're going to hand out 900 million mortal wounds, and that's pretty tough to deal with. Sure. For anybody. Yeah, so next up is Seraphon. Yep, and it might be a little while, again, just because of personal you're, stuff for you and I. You're traveling. And you're doing stuff. I'm doing and stuff. Yeah. Very vague. Yeah. Very Which, vague stuff. We're always going to be that way on the internet. So. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's it then. Cool. Thanks again, buddy, for being in the studio here. Yeah, it's thanks great for having to me. Having you to hang out with dinner and and doing this for a couple nights. Thank you, listeners, as always, for joining us for our foolishness. And we hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye. This is.